My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge of the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and credify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. This episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by the first issue of our magazine, which is now in stock and shipping now. Featuring stories from around the world on the future of design, the realities of humanity, and adventures to truly wild places. Featuring some additions from Chris Burkhardt, Alex Stroll, Juan Mwenyi, Lauren Morris, Guadalupe Laz, Petra Knapp, Misha Wilcoxon, among others. Anyone listening to this podcast can save 15% on the first issue if they use the code PODCAST at checkout. Today, I am joined by David Butler. David is a globally respected design and thought leader with deep expertise in translating design into business strategy and business strategy into design at scale. He is particularly skilled in defining design-driven growth strategies and matchmaking between startups and Fortune 500 companies. David led design at Coca-Cola and was part of the turnaround team that helped double the value of the company in less than a decade, once again positioning the brand as a cultural icon. Prior to Coke, David helped some of the world's most valuable brands transform from Web 1 to Web 2, including UPS, IBM, Bank of America, Delta, and Gucci. Along the way, David has invested in and advised early-stage startups around the world. Originally from a small beach town in Florida, David has traveled across six continents and over 50 countries. He has been recognized by Fast Company as a master of design and Fortune's executive dream team. In 2015, David co-authored Design to Grow, How Coca-Cola Learned Combined Scale and Agility, now translated in 25 languages. Daniel Pink called it a masterclass in problem solving. Tim Brown said it caused him to rethink IDEO. Now, in this ranging conversation that we recorded in person in Atlanta, Georgia, in his office, we cover everything that one could potentially imagine to ask him just based on that amazing bio alone. So I really hope you all enjoy this conversation between myself and David Butler. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. David, thank you for coming on the show. Hi, Rob. It's great to be here. Thanks. I have been looking forward to this for a while, and this has been in the planning stages for a bit. Um, and as you know, it's been a, a fun travel day to get here. Um, to jump into things, I ask every guest the same question starting off, which is what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Uh, I am a super optimist. And so I literally every day am thankful for the the, the new day. And mm -hmm. literally this morning I said, it's a new day. And um, that's how I think it's just, everything is filled with possibility. And that's, that's just how I wake up. And have you always thought this way or is this thing that has come... I'd say generally, yes, but um, uh, definitely in the last few years, I really spent a lot of time getting to know myself and what's important to me. And uh, uh, that's one thing. So gratitude's a big thing on my list. And I'm, I'm just super thankful just in general, but uh, more so in the last few years. Do you keep that all internal or do you journal or do you meditate or? I A uh, little bit of everything, but definitely journal. Okay. Uh, journaling is for me a uh, it'll be now a lifetime practice, but, um, I started journaling about five or six years ago and, uh, it was a way for me to get in touch with myself and, uh, mm. to know myself better in a weird way. But, um, but yeah, I'm frequently, I make uh, gratitude lists and I go on gratitude walks, mm. I journal about gratitude. So I'm for a, sure I'm a huge, uh, gratitude fan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that you and I are sitting here being able to talk about gratitude alone is, is amazing. Mm. Right. 
Um, so I'm someone that in my past has gone on and off of journaling and tried to find my own kind of path. Do you have some level of syntax that you use the journal? Like, are you hyper-specific about like how you write new entries and what you're writing about and you keep some things out of the journal and some things in? Uh, yes. The first question, no to this latter. So anyway, the first question is, yeah, I just, I journal in uh, Google Docs. Okay. And, uh, yeah. I just keep it in the cloud. It's hmm. sort of easier and I can turn on my phone or, I mean, I can go anywhere. And uh, um, also I don't have to worry about, you know, my journal being found or lost or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's always in the cloud. So, and then I always start the, I, uh, it's funny you asked me this, but I never really thought about it, but yeah, I start each journal entry with the date, uh, the day and the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, that's about the only thing that I keep regular. I just, and I just write freestyle, write after that. Hmm. And do you do it on like a computer or your phone or whatever you have access yeah, laptop, to? Laptop, laptop generally, but okay. sometimes on my phone. Just from typing? Yeah. If I'm tra- traveling, uh, several times I've been at the beach and I will just travel, sure. just looking at the sunrise or something like that and just start journaling. Cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting for me. I, I asked that question more recently to just friends because the things that we do automatically are what I think is almost most fascinating hmm. because it's automatic to you that you are adding like the date and the time and, and any other factor. But for someone else, it might be the opposite, right? They might just be entering the journal like it's free form yeah. thinking, you know, I'm the same way. I need to, I want to know exactly when I was thinking it. Yeah. I even, uh, I mean, just today, Rob, I did the same thing. So I, I talked to you earlier or we texted earlier yeah, yeah. today and, uh, I was in the middle of journaling and I wrote, I, I, if I journal the same day, I write same day and then the time. And uh, cool. I don't know why, but that's yeah. important to me. So I just I flow that way. Yeah. I, I, my, my only thing, and, and just to out myself is like, I, <laughs> even if I write one sentence one day, I have to start a new page. So I, I write it and I used to do digital, but I found that I did it far less mm. than if I did it paper. And I understand that like, it's not the best thing, but like, I do love pen to paper. Yeah. Most people at what I've read and heard is most people will highly encourage you to journal yeah. on paper. And I've just never been a, there are no rules, person, so, right? Like yeah. exactly. Yeah, there exactly. Yeah. No, you, you whatever, whatever makes you most comfortable and happiest for me. Um, my journal is not just my thoughts, but also my ideas. And so like, sometimes I'll have an idea. Maybe it's for like redesigning my company's website and I'll just draw it out and sketch it out. And then seeing it all there is that's way faster than using Figma or Illustrator for me. And I can just flush it out and keep going back to it. And so it's really interesting how I've kind of balanced it out. And so some entries are like timeless. It's like, here's a design for a new type of jet engine, right? And I'll come back to that a hundred times over a year. But then the rest of it is like day and then time. And my rule is like, from the same setting, I write down the time at the beginning and then that's the setting. And then if I close the journal, if I want to enter it again, I put the next time. So basically like the day is just, you you see the times in there. Yeah. But I I did some on the plane this morning. Um, It's interesting what, what comes up. And I... I'm a big fan of fear setting, which is a term I learned from Tim Ferriss from his book, The 4-Hour Workweek, about like, I don't like to be afraid of anything. I like to kind of define the things that I'm pushing off. What am I in denial about, essentially? And I found that if I am willing and able to write those things down, I am better able to go through and find a plan to avoid and make sure they don't happen and make sure I get done what needs to get done. Yeah, that's right? interesting. Yeah, that's super cool. I um. For me, I've I'm also uh, really working on living in the now, mm-hmm. like really, uh, literally thinking about only what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah. mindfulness. And um, uh, read a book called uh, uh, "The Power of Now" by Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. and and uh, millions of people read it. But um, but anyway, I'm I'm literally working on that. So when I journal, it's literally in that moment. How am I thinking? So 
I, I tried not to project or, or like yeah. think backwards into in the past and just really capture what's happening right then. So, yeah. And that's, and that's huge. So question for you on that, um, in your past, were there moments of time where you were living in the past or were living in the future or just looking forward to the next thing and not being fully present is that's what's kind of, yeah. Yeah. That? Yeah. And, and again, I told you already, Rob, I'm an open book. So yeah, I went through a, a very, uh, I'll call it painful, uh, divorce about mm. five years ago. And uh, sorry to hear that. Prior to that, I went through a very painful marriage and, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, I realized one of the things I realized, you know, through that process was that I was both living in the past and the future quite a bit uh, mm. to get to your question. So, um, I made a decision to, to try to let that go. And so, um, me meaning not, you know, living, uh, you know, based on, you know, um, traumas in the past yeah. and not projecting into the future, hoping for the, some, something better, but yeah. just literally embracing the day, you know, and the time that I'm, I'm sitting in. So, uh, but yeah, anyway, that's been a big part of my no, life. It's, and it's, that's, it's uh, amazing. And thank you for sharing. And I know that will come back later and oh, sure, at yeah. some point, <laughs> and I'm sure in, in conversation, but you know, I think a lot of people may li listening to this may also realize or, or in the back of their head, have an inkling saying, Hey, maybe, maybe I'm not actually living in now. Right. And I, th I think I've spent so long trying to define this myself. And I think I always come back to like, what is the meaning of life? Right. And I've heard a thousand plus, as I'm sure you have, like everyone has their own opinion. But I think my favorite one I've heard of all of them is a guy named Naval Ravikant. Have you read any of his stuff? No, stuff? So he's this fascinating guy who um, grew up in Queens with a single mother and a very dangerous part of the neighborhood. And so his, his mom couldn't afford daycare. So basically when he got back from school, she said, go away at the local library. I'll pick you up late at night before mm -hmm. it closes when I'm done with my double shift because she was putting all of our kids on, you know, through everything. Yeah. And so he just read, read, read. And when he kind of left college, he was right in the 90s dot com boom. Mm -hmm. And so he founded a website and did well and made it through a couple of companies and like has since become very successful angel investor. He created AngelList. Oh, which wow. is like, yeah, okay. which is a well-known, for people who don't know, it's basically like LinkedIn yeah. for startups, I think is the most, but you also can invest in companies on there, which is really cool. Um, and so he's fascinating because he now just talks about basically philosophy, the philosophy of humanity. And his, he has a recent talk where he's talking, I think it's the second episode he ever did with Tim Ferriss. And Tim Ferriss literally kind of put him on the map in one of his podcasts. Um, he says that the meaning of life is fully subjective. Because if there is one meaning we all had to subscribe for, that wouldn't that that would basically defeat the entire purpose of life, right? And he goes on to state that he believes that the meaning of life personally is to do things for the sake of doing them, right? Which is the same thing as living in the now. Yeah, right. It's what art is, right? It's done for the purpose of itself. You know, like when I'm stressed out, I just like building Legos because mm -hmm. it has no ulterior motive. Sure, I can like display some Star Wars AT-AT that's like 8,000 pieces that took me 25 hours to build and it's cool and it reminds me of that struggle and the time I had, but also like, I just enjoy it. Like, I'm not doing it for anything, you know? And people have been like, well, why don't you put it on YouTube and watch people have you build it? I'm like, that defeats the purpose, the purpose of just it. doing yeah. it, mm -hmm. right? Do you have anything that you do like that? Uh you know, it's probably journaling. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just, it's like literally the doing is the thing. It's not, there's no end game to that. So um, yeah. that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Do you have any hobbies or anything else that you? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't think about them as hobbies. They're just sure. part of my life, but um, I love to cook. I love to collect art. I'm mm -hmm. like an art freak. And um, 
uh, travel. Yeah, that's probably it. So um, I grew sure. up surfing, anything to do with the beach, skate, surf. I, that was my. You grew up in Florida, yeah? Uh, yeah. Where in Florida? Uh, I grew up in on the uh, west coast of Florida. West Clear, coast. Clearwater. Clearwater, okay. But we'd uh, drive over to the east coast to surf better waves there. For sure. So, um, yeah. Um, I've, I've, I really haven't spent um, a few follow-up questions. I haven't spent much time on the east coast or the west coast. I've spent a bunch of places both. That doesn't make any sense what I just said. But um, my girlfriend's family's in Sarasota now. So I've okay. seen some of the waves around there and those are awesome. But side question, did you go to any NASA launches when you were a kid? Uh, a couple. And I've... Uh, actually, I have a house in, on it's called Satellite Beach, which is in yeah, the East Coast. Exactly what I said. And yeah. uh, you watch, especially with SpaceX and everything mm-hmm. else going down there, you can see multiple launches a week. And so I've seen multiple launches since then. But yeah. when I was a little kid, yes, but more recently. Uh, Side note: I am going to ask to camp on your beach and watch some launches if you give me permission. Oh, I, you, cool. don't, you don't need to prove me right now, but yeah, cool. <laughs> okay. we'll yeah. take it offline. No but, worries. Because <laughs> um, because that to me is like, if you're looking for something to inspire you seeing that and realizing just how much not just money this it's like I, whenever i think of the original apollo program i think four hundred thousand people spent the majority of 20 years making this a reality that's a lot of time yeah you know that's that's about a hundred thousand lifetimes yeah and i don't know if you've uh have you seen it seen a spacex launch recently mm-hmm. yeah okay. so i i saw i so dur- during covid 2020 I watched the first manned SpaceX launch from from like the bridge in um, right outside Cape Canaveral. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I just meant how they 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 how they actually announce it and uh, commentate through mm-hmm. the through the um, the launches. It's they've reinvented it, so it's not For just sure. stodgy white man, old man sort no, of talking. Not about the Walter like, Cronkite. Yeah, they're, they're like on the moon. Twenty year olds like just talking about yeah, this is For a, sure. a, a whole a completely different kind of yeah. you know, way and method. So yeah. anyway, it's super cool. I love it. No, it, it is super cool. And the, the coolest thing I know is, is, you know, um, people listening to this know that like my background's heavily in aerospace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a few friends that work at SpaceX and they all get a chance to work in mission control. So like at a normal wow. company like That's NASA, cool. like mission control is a job. That's your full-time job. Mm-hmm. You focus on that. You have to be very qualified at SpaceX. It's like, if it's your mission and you worked with the people or the product on it, then you can get trained to sit in the control room and 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 help monitor that. Yeah, which is awesome. So my friend who was is part of the human factors team who helps train the astronauts of how to use the Dragon caps, like he's been Capcom, like the Caps communicator for two missions now, hmm. um, which is awesome because like he's just works at SpaceX, has a lot of fun, but also gets to like talk to the astronauts when they're flying up to space, which is crazy. Yeah, and how just how they're reinventing it. Yeah, it's cool. For sure. So. For sure. And, and 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 Elon is one of those interesting characters that every month I have to check in to see like what he's doing and what he's working on. And he's one person like, look, I'll never agree with everything he does or says, right? Uh, and you take the fact that he's on the spectrum and there's a few other pieces to that whole puzzle, but it's hard to overlook what he has accomplished given what he had. Right? Totally. totally. Yeah. Tesla. SpaceX, Tesla, SpaceX, like, and then Neuralink, which is now coming in its own boring company, which stays yeah. under the radar, which just got a you know eighteen billion dollar valuation out of nothing because yeah, you know just it, that yeah because yeah. no one else is building tunnels right now yeah you know and it, it like I, I think what people overlook is that people compare him to Jobs in the way that like he isn't actually an engineer he isn't actually this but. So I always tell people the distinct difference. And I think you you would know this is obvious. Someone like Brian Collins knows this is obvious. But like Jobs understood the combination of existing technologies and to put them together into something that people would want to have. 
his famous line, how do people know what they want if they don't even know what they, they haven't even seen yet, or whatever the yeah. line is, right? Yeah. Elon is like that, but he's like, this is what we need. And he understands the building blocks we need to get to Mars or to get to energy independence. And he's like, this is what we have to do to get there. But he also understands the engineering. You know, you could put him in there and half and like, people don't believe this, but like my friends at SpaceX will tell me that they will get an email at like 4.30 in the morning, be like, I put some thought into this, try this. And usually he's right. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> so, I mean, founders, great founders have, you know, the ability to, to have both vision, but then also make it happen. Yeah. And so, because uh, you can have one or the other and it doesn't happen, you know, so like, I mean, jobs, Elon, you know, I mean, yeah. yeah, again, put politics aside or mm -hmm. side stuff for know, sure whatever yeah. you know but ignore twitter for a minute you can exactly <laughs> you can you know they both can look into the future and then make it happen yeah that's and, super impressive and that's and that's kind of bring me back down to this next thing i want to dive into is so that's the role of designer really is to look into the future and to not to i, I promise i'm not going to quote brian collins too many times in this podcast <laughs> but he something we were talking about could just be before worse. recording could be worse could be worse <laughs> but um his piece on seeking the hidden dragon we need to become problem seekers not problem solvers and i think the jobs and musk mentality and there are many people doing this that was just our character example is that in order for design to really make a difference for the future of humanity we cannot just take what is existing and fix it we have to start looking ahead yeah and that's people that really change things right absolutely yeah. so before we dive into design uh people that aren't aware with your pedigree and what you've done um how would you describe the work you do to your eight-year-old self hmm. yeah that's a great question actually no one's ever asked me that but um the work i do today is is a little bit different than what i do what i have done in my career uh, i will say that um, i started my career as a designer, a practicing designer, uh, and then midway, or I don't know where, where I am in my career, but in somewhere in, in the middle of my career, I, I started redesigning how a company designs, which mm. is completely different. So if you're a practicing designer, you're designing stuff. If you're designing how an entity designs, it's a completely different scenario. Yeah. And so that was my role at Coke. Uh, now today, I'm more about, uh, I'm more involved in strategy. So I have a, uh, Brand, uh, brand design. Uh, I have a couple of companies, but anyway, one of them is a brand design strategy and design company. And uh, now I'm working on strategy. But uh, but anyway, it's it's just interesting the journey from going from a practicing practicing designer to leading design inside of a company is is that's similar, but not definitely not the same. So I take it you're someone also that when someone asks you the question, "What do you do?" you usually hate responding. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, do a lot of things. Yeah, you know, yeah. But uh, but also, sure. and I don't think I don't define my life by my job or my exactly. profession. So it's that's always a difficult question for me. And I, I I tend to say like, what do you mean? What did I do last hour? Yeah, like what do I do? No, I, I can tell you what I did this morning. You know, <laughs> is yeah. that interesting? Okay. And yeah. and and one thing I found is that I piss off a lot of people, like my girlfriend's parents or people I meet or just people I'm talking to like my friends and they always laugh at me because like I'll be with my friends like we were at, all my friends were together for New Year's this year and someone was new in there and they were it was a friend of a friend and we were all talking and they were like first 30 minutes of meeting me like I think it's most people's like archetypal question I only ask it in the span of the podcast because I think it's important to set the stage and I try to ask it in a way like that because I I want people to reflect on the way they're talking about themselves because i really at the end of the day don't care what someone does i care if, are they happy yeah. are they adding value to 
at least one life themselves or someone else. But going back to this point, it's like they asked me and immediately all my girlfriend and my friends start laughing. They're like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't like, I, I still I looked at her in the face and I said, I don't know how to answer that question. I can tell you what I've worked on the past month. I can tell you the people I've worked for, but I don't really care for that. Like you can look at LinkedIn for that. You don't need, I don't yeah. need to, you know, give you myself. Yeah, that sounds too abstract, but um. Yeah, I think much more interesting question is, you know, how do you think? Or what do you think? How about do you think? Lately? What do you think about lately? Oh, yeah. What are you focusing on? Interesting. Question. What problems fascinate you? Yeah. So, speaking of what problems right now do fascinate you? Hmm. We touched on it, but this this idea of living in the now mm-hmm. and uh, and really getting deep into that is is where I've been lately. But um, uh, I mean, you know, problem solving all depends on context. So yeah. Uh, I get paid to do certain things too. So when I'm in that context, I'm definitely solving problems for, for sure. the person that's paying me. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, understood. Uh, and again, not to sound too abstract or obtuse, but um, but that's uh, but I, I do think it's a much more interesting place to start with. How do you think, or what are you thinking about lately mm. versus what do you do? Because you can do a lot of things, but yeah. it may not reflect actually who you are. Right? For sure. And and that that important thing is there is a movie called Across the Universe. It, mm. it uses. Uh, I actually mentioned this in a podcast I recorded a few days ago. Um, but it's about the Beatles. It's like, I don't know if you've probably seen it. It came out like mid two thousands. Okay. It sounds familiar, but Jim Stowell and uh, Stovall and, um, but whatever. So there's this scene where it's like 1970s, um, uh, 1960s, 70s. Like that's the era of the movie. It's like Vietnam's going on. People are like, there's the young kids don't want to be part of the system. The parents, baby boomers are basically saying like, Oh, you got to go get a work as a banker or a lawyer or a doctor. Mm. And this kid just graduates from Princeton and his uncle's like, but what are you going to do with your life? And he's like, I don't know. I'm going to figure it out. I'll travel and figure it out. And he's like, but what you do defines who you are. And he goes, no, Uncle Harry, what you, who you are defines what you do. Yeah. Uh, and those, true. and those are the people yeah, I, I care about. Like people like you, yeah, I love it. I'm not going to say I care about myself in a self-aggrandizing way, but no, like, you should. No, no, but, but I do, but like not in this context of the conversation where it's like who you are defines what you do. And I will say that a thousand times till someone gets it. Because every time I say that, I hope someone else finally clicks. Because there are so many people out there that hate the work they are doing. And there are so many problems that need to be solved. I guarantee you one of those problems that someone would happily pay you plenty of money to solve and it would add value to many more people's lives than your own is something you'd love to do. Hmm. Right? Yeah, so so I, I, I always look at the problem that, I'll take Angelus for example, right? I know you spend a lot of time with early stage founders right? I am an early stage founder and that's what I've been doing the past few years. So like, I understand this problem well. The problem I have with the current market and the the big need I see is not something like AngelList where it helps startups who are looking for people find the people to fill those jobs. It's helping the people in the jobs they don't want to do take what they already have as a seed to do well in other jobs. You know, because like, let me ask you a question. If, you, if I was to pull 100 Goldman Sachs investment banking analysts, like 24 to 30, right? How many of them do you think would make a good designer? <laughs> yeah, not many because uh, they're sort of used to looking at the world analytically. For yeah, sure. Based on logic, you know, so. But the ones at that point that still have hope in my mind, and and, and, and I only mean it by this, but I have hope as in like, if someone is regaled to 80-hour work weeks minimum, and looking at spreadsheets all day and basically be building a cog to define a system, which is what they do yeah. and a financial institution. If someone still has the creative ability and drive to do something, that person will be successful in whatever they're doing, right? Yeah, I agree. I but, totally but, agree. but also I think that like, if you were to pull those people 
And you'd say, okay, you're not going to keep making 400 grand a year at 26, but you could probably make half that and be a lot happier. And if you're willing to make a lot less than that at the first, you would be infinitely happier. Yeah. So my interest recently has been trying to f not connect the right people to the right job, but connect the right idea for the right job to the right person. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Right? Because because like, I didn't know what I want to do. I still really don't know what I want to do. I'm sure you probably still at the end of the day really don't know exactly what you want to do. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. You're making me think. Uh, and early on, I, for whatever reason, my my mind or brain, you know, naturally thought in systems. So mm -hmm. really being fascinated with how, you know, the underlying systems work yeah. and then how they manifest. And that's how I got into design. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that was called at the time systems thinking yeah. or complexity. System I mean, I didn't know anything design. about yeah. all that, but that's, that's how sure. I thought about things. And mm -hmm. so... I got into design that way and then turned out that that became a hmm. skill set and a superpower of mine. And I had no idea, but it was just sort of uh, built in that. Yeah, I learned a lot more about that later in life. But. Yeah. So d did you go to, you went to school for design, yes? Or something similar design? Something similar. Yeah. yeah and, that, and at the time I thought I wanted to be in, as a whole nother podcast probably, but I, <laughs> I thought I wanted to be in advertising. And so okay. I, I got into school, think, I studied fine art and advertising. Yeah. And somehow in between, I got into design, but, um, but yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, anyway, that, yeah, that's what I studied and that's what I did. But, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I had the language. I, I don't even know if I knew exactly how, what design, what, what design was or yeah. how to even articulate that to get into the right place, but it all worked out. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause I, I always ask people that I, cause I, obviously you and I have friends, a lot of designers or people that identify as a designer, yeah. I should say that's the same thing in my mind. Um, I always ask like, at what point did you decide design was the thing? And because I'm friends with as many, I'm friends with more people that are designers who don't have a traditional like rot degree in design versus people that are designers by doing. Yeah. I'm a, I have a little bit of different uh, point of view than I'd say most of my quote designer friends on mm -hmm. this. And so, uh, Rob, I feel like everyone is a designer yes. and, and it's not just my feeling like yeah. we literally are like no matter what you call yourself, you design mm -hmm. this podcast, you design your route here. Yeah. Everyone in this building, we're sitting in a co-working space. Everyone here is designing something, whether yeah. it's an email or a, uh, you know, presentation or whatever. We all design all the time. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the challenge is to learn how to design well. Yes. You know, some people that are, you know, can design well and those tend to get hired by people to help them design things, but yes. we're all our designers. And so again, yeah. I have, I have zero ego around being called mm -hmm. a designer uh, because I, I feel like we all are, are designers. Agreed. And, and I, this is a controversial point and I've been in places where that's a very controversial idea. I, uh, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but so I, I love the distinction you made between this idea that everyone designs because on a base level, everyone is designing. That's, that's like a, that's an a, a equals design. a for yeah. sure. Like, yeah, that we, double negative I've used so many times, but we cannot not design. No, it's, it's true. Cause like without that, someone is what a drone, they're a robot, they need programming. Right. They need to be constantly be told what to do or what to think. But even within that, people are still thinking about, you know, not to use like a, a harsh like parallel, but even when you wipe your own ass, like you, you're still designing something. You're still thinking Absolutely. about the process of doing you something. You cannot not design. That's what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> no, no, and, and I love that. Yeah. But but I think that the, the design well, people have always asked like, because design is so subjective, but there's also an objective subjectivity to design because there is good design and there is bad design. And I don't believe it falls into a structure of here are the rules and here are the typefaces you shouldn't use and Comic Sans is terrible and who would ever use Papyrus as a joke with the, That's I don't right. know if you know, you've seen that SNL skit yeah. with uh, yeah. Ryan Gosling and Papyrus. 
for Avatar. Um, sorry, that was another tangent. But um, the point I'm making is that I think someone who is a well-known designer, like a Debbie Millman, for example, what they understand is they built something for themselves that added value that other people also found value in. They continue to, to iterate a word that most people hate, which I believe in strongly because there's no other word that describes iteration. Moving forward and constantly improving. It's like Kaizen and like the Japanese you know, style of, of, of thought. But there are things that you can do that are naturally pleasing to the human eye just based on color theory and space and like spatial languaging. And those things are subjective, but they're also general trends that people need to understand that are more just comfortable to the human eye. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're human beings. We're attracted to beauty. Yeah. Right? And that's just what it is. That's mm-hmm. you know, hardwired in our DNA. For sure. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it, beauty is the only factor in that no. you know, way. So, uh, no. but yeah. And for me, uh, I mean, the way I sort of naturally think about design versus art is that art is completely subjective. Yes. Know, if I take uh, a crayon and draw on the wall beside me and feel something about it, great. Uh, if yeah. you do, I could care less because I drew it for me. Yeah, for sure. But design actually is is there to actually solve, you know, it's common thing, solve problems or do something for, you know, people beyond yourself, yeah. right? So there's a Donald Judd quote, um, and I've always tried to find the original time he said it, but like um, design has to work and art does not. That's a great. I love that. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, so you should steal that because like it's it's so it's so good. And because it, it makes sense, right? It's like, I am reminded of this every single time I go into a contemporary or modern art museum. There's just some things I don't understand, but I take a lot of peace and solace in the fact the person who made this creation probably got everything out of it. That's all that matters. Yeah. You know, yeah, and if you're a parent, I don't, I don't think you're a parent, but no. if you're a parent, your kid comes. At least I hope not. With, uh, <laughs> uh, if your kid comes home with, uh, I've got three kids, but uh, yeah. three daughters, but um, uh, anyway, if your kid comes home with a macaroni piece of art, you know, macaroni and crayons and glue, yeah. you look at that and say, it's fantastic. And you hang it up and call it art. That's completely subjective. It doesn't have to mean anything no. to anyone else, but uh, I mean, that, that is art. Right? Yeah. So, and and I, and I think this is an important subject that, that people really haven't dove into. I think when teaching children the art of play, the ability to just do whatever they want, whether that's run around or pick up a game of tag or put macaroni on glue and cover it in glitter, or maybe even build a block of Legos, right? Like that idea of just knowing that there are no limits and no rules is so important and is so, it's it's almost like you, it's a leper in modern society. Yeah. People look at you like, oh, you're not following the strategic style for them to get the top score in the standardized test and get into college. It's like these kids are kindergartners. Yeah, I mean, another sort of yeah. the same same concept, different word is just curiosity. So yeah. you're all born naturally curious. Mm-hmm. We systematically get that beat out of us as we go through Constantly. the education system and then we go into the workplace and so forth. For sure. And that's the only reason why in school, like I, I always love science and math for that reason. Because- I viewed it at a young age as like, this is a language and a history that we are constantly developing and changing based on our understanding of trying to place ourselves among the stars, right? And so you're just looking for deeper curiosity. It is curiosity in, in its rot form. People just look at it as like, oh, math is the thing I need to calculate tips and understand taxes and things like that but it's not but like that's why i hated english class i loved reading but i hated when teachers like now write three words of prose on why juliet 
didn't follow Romeo that first time. You know, it's like, who cares? You know, I still think Shakespeare is actually a collective of Arthur's. I don't believe it's one guy, but that's just my, that's my conspiracy theory, right? But but going off that, it's just like, I think we, as an education perspective, are shifting towards this idea that people need to learn exactly what they want to focus on, but still have an idea of these are the classics. This is how to read and write. This is how to speak properly. This is how you operate in modern society to be successful but also like someone like me who has zero interest in writing unless it's for the sake of writing or something i genuinely care about like i just spend my time learning about new scientific like properties and subjects and for you it's different you know like your day of paradise might be walking around like art basil and just seeing all types of new work from new fantastic two weeks ago so yeah yeah exactly i mean then some and for me like Walking around a place like SpaceX or even like Natural History Museum or even NASA would be like a dream country. So I can go and look and tinker and think about things. But sometimes even for me walking around like a children's museum. Have you been to a children's museum recently? Uh, not recently. Yeah. I, I, I've been trying to push design professionals. I hate using that word. People that are well-known in the world of design to like do more programs with younger kids at children's museums. Because every time I go in there, I walk by one and it's just unlimited creativity. And it's a mess. There's like tubes and straws and paper and paint and stuff everywhere. But it's basically just like a place for curiosity to let go. That's what a children's museum is, you know? And I think that that's like, I had such fond memories of the Boston children's museum going as a kid. It's my favorite place to go. And my, and I loved like my dad is the first, like, yeah, one thing in the gift store. And my favorite gift store, because like museum of science, you can get like a little Rover from moon. You can get like a a rock that you can turn into a geode or something like that. But they had this leftover effuse of like industrial things. So there was boxes and, and, and surgical tubes and obviously nothing you could hurt yourself with, but stuff you could like build stuff with like different types of styrofoam and sheeting. And you just filled up a bag. They give you a trash bag and fill the trash bag was $8. It was much stuff in there. So my sister and I would fill it up and we'd come back home and we'd take my dad's like crate and barrel box. She just got a new like set of plates for the dining room and we'd make some kind of contraption. It had no purpose, but it was like a contraption. Yeah. And they always had names. Exactly. And that and, and the thing is I look at back at my history and like that's when I learned the most. That's when I I got the most out of what my future would be from those experiences. Awesome. Right? So as as a parent, I guess my question is when your daughters three how old are they? Uh older, 21, 19, 16. Cool. So they're college college and thinking about college. Yeah. That's exactly. Cool. So what did you do as a parent that probably is anti to what the like common thinking is when it came to creativity or design, anything comes to mind that you did to really push them? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, I never really thought about that. Rob. So a um, couple of things. Yeah. Actually to your point, we would go to multiple museums all the time. And mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was really important for them to uh, have an open mind around, uh, I wouldn't even call it art, but like just different forms of seeing, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, I pushed that and then related to that, Anytime they express any kind of interest in any form of art, music, visual, anything, mm-hmm. highly encourage that as well as sports and other things, right? You know, whatever For sure. too, but uh, just keeping that balance between, you know, science and art, you know, just keep making mm-hmm. sure that they uh, respected that and, you know, Great. Uh, you know, felt that that was as valued by their parent as, you know, getting whatever good grades in school. Mm-hmm. So. And are any of your daughters pursuing arts design right now in school? Uh, yeah, my, actually my, middle daughter uh she is pursuing a green well uh, she has a double degree but um one is in art history awesome and she attributes that directly to 
yeah. uh, being a child and growing up with art and we collected mm-hmm. art and so forth. But um, yeah, that's awesome. And, and do, did you save the art from your kids? Yeah. Childhood? Weird like that. Yeah. I have boxes of, for sure. My uh, parents are too. Really? Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I rarely get it out to look at, it, but just knowing that it's there is good. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. It's something that, um, like a good museum when I'm sure your daughters were like eight, uh, six and, uh, three, if the three-year-old is even going to the museum at that point. Um, yeah. thank you. Uh, I always had to think about that. You, you saw me look at thinking really hard not to mess it up and also talk. But so like when I was that age, if I liked something at the museum or it was a cool museum or was, I was with one of my, like my grandfather, um, he lived on 90th and park in New York city, like earshot away from the Met. And he was on the board of the Met at the time. And I was very lucky to grow up with awesome. like a very privileged art family that had access to a lot of arts. And so to me, like going to the Met once a month with my grandfather for eight hours was like a normal thing and appreciated. And so when I got to go to the Museum of Fine Arts on a field trip when I was like six years old, because we had spent all year like drawing these famous paintings, all the kids didn't want to be there. And I was like, I get to see the thing that I've seen on the screen on the projector overhead for the past year. But it's weird because I, but I do think just like that art to bring it back full circle that you've saved for your daughters. Some of them may be like, dad, that I don't want to see that right now. But December like 24, 25, they're going to be really appreciative that you saved that. Okay. I promise because because okay. I've cause my sister is 25 and she just hit that uh, echelon mm-hmm. of like being really appreciative. And my mom just started actually compiling it all in the books. So like there's many things you can do with it, but she's just like, I might as well take the scrapbooking approach and just apply one to each side of the page unless it's like 3D and has lots of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to figure that out, yeah. but maybe <laughs> VR or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think this, I, this idea of like saving that a reminder because it's weird. Sometimes I'd look at a piece of art and remember it. Like I remember giving it to my dad. Yeah. I remember giving this. Yeah. I think it's more about that for me, Rob. It's more about recognizing, you know, what it took to that, what it took, you know, for them to put energy or thought or, you know, anything into it. And then me receiving that. So it's like just recognizing that. And yeah. Cherishing that. So. Cause it is a gift. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like, I'm a big believer in, you know, anyone can learn to play an instrument. Anyone can learn to sing. Anyone can learn to draw or paint. Some people are more naturally predisposed to some of those things, but that's just the the way the lottery numbers fell. Yeah, yeah. Right. Same that's my that's my belief. Same thing with mathematics or for sure. present, present, you know, presenting or managing people or whatever. Yeah, because like for me as a kid, like uh, growing up on the spectrum, like reading was really hard for me, and so I hated it and I pushed away from it. That's why I liked math because math made sense to me. So like I was like, well, there are really like ten digits you have to know. And then if you can read them together, they just start making patterns. And so like I would fly through math, but then it was like, read this one page thing. I would, I would just, just struggle with that. Wow. you know, like, like, you know, like that's, yeah. that's, and, and so curious to you, when you were growing up, what were your favorite subjects? Like what, what did, what really got you excited to jump into class? Yeah. Strangely art. Uh, that was <laughs> one topic. No um, surprise. Yeah, actually art, uh, and science. Yeah. Really, uh, which is, uh, you know, sort of two sides of the brain, but, um, art and science and I never really got away from that. Hmm. So, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, believe it or not, I, w- I wanted to be an economist. Hmm. Uh, you know, I had that this fascination, but I wanted to be an economist. I think it went back to the whole systems thinking how for sure different things connect and all that. But, um, anyway, it was sort of economists or, uh, actually a dentist or an economist. That's what hmm. I had sort of thought about. And, um, dentist being the safer route, I'm guessing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but, uh, Do you like teeth, but, I don't that was know. that, but, uh, but uh, yeah, but anyway, went into and again, I, I didn't know 
exactly what I wanted to do, but I mm. had an intuitive sense around design and um, got into it the way I did. So. Fascinating. So off of that, is there a particular field of science that really piqued your interest, like physics, biology, chemistry? Uh, well, more like uh, yeah, complexity theory, um, just mm. and the way that, um, again, systems operate, and yeah. patterns form, and um, and then and you know applying those systems. So that that was I'm still highly interested in that for sure. Space, you know, so. yeah. There's there's a program that I've been looking at myself that I will talk to you offline about. But the MIT Media Lab does a lot of work on systems thinking and systems engineering, and like. I've been preaching this for a long time that like systems engineering classes should be taught by designers. Like even at a proper, like an MIT or even a Caltech systems level engineering classes, because it's, it's, it's all it's about. Right. And what they're applying it to is understanding very, very, very complex machines or very, very complex systems that are running machines or running research. Right. But at the end of the day, it's all the same syntax. Right. Um, and I know some designers will hate like me templatizing that, but it, it's true. Yeah, I just I think it, yeah, you know, it depends on what you want to work on. Again, I hate to call anyone specifically a designer because I think we all are, but uh, yeah. But anyway, if someone is let's say responsible for design inside of a company, mm -hmm. and unless you understand how different, you know, uh, unless you sort of see the world in terms of modules and how different mod, you know, Legos, how yeah. they all interrelate and how they all connect, for sure, you'll never design something that can actually scale or adapt. And I mean, that's what all companies need. Yeah, agreed. And and creating that system that they can use and pull from and the language, right? Yeah. Because, because I think I look at so many rebrands and so many design language or style guides, and I'm sure you've looked at millions more than I have <laughs> literally at this point. And so many of them, I think, fail to hit the point they're trying to hit. You're not supposed, in my mind, this is purely my opinion, and I'm feeling you're going to agree with me. You're not supposed to just show them a logo and here's how you use it. It's like, this is the idea you're trying to portray by using it this way. And this is why we use it. And if you want to edit it, here is your, here is your palette, right? Here is the, here are the different ways you can look. And amazingly, sometimes people come up with new ways to display your work that you never even thought of. And that's, that's the best thing that could happen. Yeah. I'm a big believer in uh, designing systems, uh, modular systems yeah. based on fixed and flexible components, right? For so sure. like, if you think about logos, I mm -hmm. have used this, example forever rob but it's just funny that you're into it um no if you think about legos like the basic kit was designed you know let's say 50 years ago i think that's mm -hmm. when the company was founded but um uh the basic kit you know primary six or eight different size blocks they all fit together the same way yeah and you can buy that same kit that was designed a million years ago but you can also buy other kits that that can connect to that if you're into harry potter yeah. you can you know you know connect your harry potter blocks with you know the basic kit or you know uh, mm -hmm. Minecraft or any other thing that you might be into, and that's how they keep it both relevant and for uh, sure, but and but uh, uh, sustainable. Right? Yeah. So anyway, I'm a big believer in that and think and applying that same idea to how companies design things. You know, absolutely it's a product or brand or whatever. You know, so. And funny enough, with Legos for myself, um, I got into Legos because of Star Wars Legos. Like, I was a big Star Wars fan mm -hmm. ever since I got the original trilogy and like little figurines when I was five years old for Christmas. And so I liked Legos and then my parents saw the Star Wars Legos and they're like, okay, that's a good bridge. And I liked it because I could build and play with the versions of the things that I was seeing in my favorite movies. Yeah. But when I was done, I could build whatever I wanted. 
And I just love the idea of starships and spaceships and the pieces were already mostly shaped like that. So I like, I knew this is my sandbox, right? Yeah. But it's funny. So I was at, at the Lego Ideas House in Bill and Denmark a few months ago. Oh, cool. It's a place like, it was, I made a pilgrimage, like a place I've always wanted to go. <laughs> it's incredible to anyone out there who is remotely interested in Lego. It's amazing. It's basically one quarter museum and three quarters playground. Like you can play with Legos in any capacity and any style. And there are people of all ages. It's awesome. There are two-year-olds and there are 90-year-olds playing with Legos. Everything in between. It's this beautiful, obviously Danish design, like immaculate yeah, building. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but one thing I want to show you, which which reminded me of that, is that the Lego system in 1963 added wheels. Hmm. So it used to always be blocks and they added a wheel system. And in the museum, they had one of the original boxes opened up. And it's one of the most perfect products I've ever seen. And I'm excited to show people this because genuinely it's like, I'll just show you so you can, you can look at it. But like that was 1963. Cool. Wow. And I'll place the image low so people can see it. But yeah, this, wow. this you have this set where they're like, okay, now we're adding a new dimensionality. You want to make a crane? You want to make a car? But we're going to present it in a way that, you know, this is this this in the 60s would have been like, whoa. You know, it's like <laughs> you're opening this like perfectly manicured box of mm -hmm. Legos that allow you to give you the power to just, do, do, your own, do. do what you yeah. want to do, yeah. right? And this is all coming back to the point we were originally talking about was edu education, mm -hmm. right? Which I know is a big thing with you. So you are currently, what it's leader in residence? Yeah, leader in residence at uh, the uh, Emory uh, Business School. So, Goizueta. Um, Goizueta, sorry. Yeah, yeah Goizueta. Yeah, actually, I, I, I know I, the Goizueta. My girlfriend gave me so much shit for, I was like, is that go, goes, Gozetta? She's like, she's like, it's Goizueta, <laughs> Rob. Yeah, it's a huge uh, Coke family, and yeah. uh, so that's how I originally got to know the family. But um, yeah, I mean, a couple of things about teaching. This is just my personal feelings, but for me, I feel like you can't truly know something in until you are able to teach it. Right? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. so for me, teaching has always been a part of my just what I like to do. Going huge. back to your question, like what do you do? Uh, so part of it is teaching, and uh, but second, I I think that there's a huge opportunity, especially in in a in a business school in an MBA program yeah. uh, specifically for uh, students to understand the connection that design can make to a business and being yeah. able to translate a business strategy into a design strategy and vice, sure. vice versa. Uh, that's, I, I feel the same way about designers who mm -hmm. aren't able to design or to go the other way, you know, to, to, to actually take a business strategy and translate it, you know? So sure. anyway, I'm quite passionate about that. Um, yeah. Again, translating strategy into design. And vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and that, that connection is, I think what breeds success in the modern world. You know, um, I agree. And now not a, <laughs> a lot of people realize that or know that, but, uh, but I think that's the opportunity. Yeah. I, I actually didn't realize it myself um, until I'm just super thankful. I had this college career counselor at my school. I went to a super small school in Arizona called Embry-Riddle, uh, studied aerospace engineering um, for anyone listening that doesn't know uh, background. And I had this career counselor named Melissa Mena. Um, and I've publicly thanked her before for this. So, <laughs> I was hyper involved. I was teaching a few uh, entry level classes. There's a class at my school called Univ 101. And it was basically like the how to survive engineering school. Because my school is notoriously hard. Like the five year graduation weight in engineering is 26%. That's a five year wow. rate. Six year jumps to 32%, mm -hmm. right? And then past that, it's it's nothing. So a third of people within six years of starting will finish, right? And so the, the, the class has started to say like, hey, two things. This is how you survive. And there's going to be a lot of work right? And number two, do you really want to be an engineer? You're spending a lot of money to be here. 
And before you get two years into it and realize that you really hate physics or you really hate math, let's figure this out now. And we do it through like Legos and building rockets. And it's like, and, and kids love it. It ends up being their favorite class freshman year because they get to like play again. Hmm. And it's kind of reaches that did like this. There's no, like, there are certain engineering principles we have to teach you because they're just, that's the, the way that our world works based on the systems we understand. Yeah. And there are things we did legally teach you from like an ethics perspective of how to build systems that aren't going to kill people. Yeah. Right. But the rest of it is yours to figure out and kind of creating that space is great. And that I learned more in school from teaching that one class and then the rest of my classes combined. Hmm. And yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and she was super thankful. So getting back to my original story. So I was super stressed with getting a job as everyone was. I luckily like uh, had no debt leaving school, but I was still like super stressed. I had zero dollars. I think I had $800 in my bank account and that was including lifelong savings, right? <laughs> um, so I was like, I just want to make money and I wanted to create my own space, work on my own projects. But it was funny because I kept viewing everything like I want to make money so I can do the other things. And it wasn't until later that I connected the, I'm going to make money by doing the things I wanted, yeah. right? Which is an that most, many people don't actually make for a long time. But long story short, I had been rejected from like 150 job applications from like Boeing and Lockheed oh, and God. NASA and everything. And that's how they do it. So basically it's like a, it's like an Amazon.com on like Boeing. And they have like 15,000 open positions. You can apply it up to 500 at once. And within a day or two, they'll just give you an automatic reply. No, no, <laughs> no. And then maybe... And then you talk to one person for five minutes on the phone, and then it's usually a no. It's it's crazy. It is the most derogatory, and and I have my problems with Boeing to begin with for many reasons, for like their design practice and 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 their ethics practice right now. But moving forward, um, she looked at me and I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. She's like, you know, you don't have to be an engineer, right? And I was like, what do you mean? And I was, she's like, you have a degree in engineering. You're getting a great degree from a great school, but you don't have to go sit in the lab and be a wheel in the cog. Yeah, that's a good, that's go do your own answer. thing. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. You know, and, and, and she said the one thing and she's like, this is going to go to your head. Cause like, cause you knew me at the time. I was like a, the, you know, a hotheaded, you know, college kid that was, you know, vice president of my fraternity and doing all this fun stuff. And so like everything went right to my head, but she's like, you have the capacity mentally to understand the math and science, but you're clearly, you love sales. You love people. You love design. She's like, if you can combine those two things, you're going to be fine. Yeah, and she started a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't say that then. Um, sorry, that's too much self-aggrandizing for one episode for me. But the, but the point I'm saying is that I, what I am trying to do with this podcast, as well as the magazines and everything else, I want more people to have that moment earlier on in their life. That's cool. Yeah. Right? Because like my sister, uh, they got their degree in anthropology and sociology. And they graduated... Uh, May of COVID. So like the worst oh, possible job market you could ever have. Mm -hmm. And it, it took them a long time to figure out what to do. And I don't think they still really know what they want to do. But they're enjoying the journey. And yeah. I always remind Eliza, my sister, that that's all that matters. It's not how much money you make. There'll always be someone that's making more money than you. There'll always be someone that wants to appear to be happier. But I don't know how many times you've been out in a place like New York City and someone's asked what you do, not because they're curious, but really because they're trying to judge what they do against what you do because they want to status match themselves. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And terrifying. And sad. Yeah. <laughs> and um, sad in some ways. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think where I'm trying to go with all this is what do you think were the pivotal 
circumstances or moments, if there's like a, a couple of key moments you remember that really made your journey to get to a position like the global head of design for a company as dominating and large as Coca-Cola. Yeah, one comes quickly to mind, Rob, is, um, let's see, I was working in the sort of dot-com spaces, late 90s, mm -hmm. web 1.0, all that. And um, uh, I got tired of the, um, I don't know, the, the things about design, the design profession uh, mm. that most people associate with. And, and again, we were sort of dancing around this earlier, but, uh, you know, being precious about design, uh, meaning what I'm called and the words and, you know, uh, what you wear and uh, just who you associate with, what your music tastes are, just, uh, you know, just all the different sort of pieces of in my, at that time where I, that I thought were sort of fake about design. Mm. And, uh, I just... I just really grew tired of that. And I'd been at that point, I'd been a practicing designer close to 10 years. And um, there's a whole new space, uh, you know, web, yeah. all that stuff. I'd, I'd studied uh, Marshall McLuhan in school, Futurist and Global Village and all mm -hmm. that. And I was super down with the web, but um, <laughs> but I didn't want to be called, a, I didn't want to be a designer anymore. And that mm. was that was my title, at, you know, in my job. And so I remember going to uh, the head of the agency I was working for at the time and said, I'm much more interested in brands and helping companies mm. Uh, either translate their brand into this new space or uh, define a brand and move into that space and, uh, you know, a new company and um, convince them that I should lead the, a brand strategy practice for the agency. And then this is back in the dot-com days. So we yeah. quickly scaled up to 40, 50 people around the world and went from there. So anyway, at, That's that, awesome. at that point in time, I didn't want to be a designer. I mean, yeah. I, I wanted to expand my idea for sure. of what design was and move into that. You space. want to be an expander. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Never thought about it that way, but um. But yeah, so that that was a, a key time, and that that actually helped me get out of some of the I would call trappings that yeah. I had thought about as a designer, meaning being super hyper concerned with uh, aspects of designing things like typefaces and mm -hmm. color and form, and you know, get out of that and expand the way I thought about uh, the world. So yeah, if I hadn't done that, I don't think I would ever been ready to do anything like I was asked to do at Coke. Interesting. Um. And I say interesting, not because I'm trying to push it back, because I'm, I'm actively thinking about this process. And why do you think this individual um, at your company decided to, you know, take this massive risk and let you create this brand new practice that scaled so fast? Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, again, not to, uh, I don't know. His name is Clement Mock, by the way. He's a great guy, great designer. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I was able to cast a vision and then, yeah. come up with a plan to actually execute it. And I, I think he believed that I could actually do it. And I had no idea if I could or not, but, um, but I, I'm, uh, so I told a good story. Actually, <laughs> that makes me think, you know, I, I'd been at Coke, just I'll fall into that with just another yeah. story that came to mind. Please. Um, I had been at Coke and led design for, I don't know, roughly 10 years and, uh, that went really well and, um, you know, whatever exceeded expectations and so forth. And, uh, had a conversation with uh, the CEO at the time, uh, Mutar Kent and, he, uh, he asked me, he said, would, you know, could you do for Coke uh, innovation? Uh, could you do for, you know, could you apply what you've done with design to innovation? Hmm. And I said, um, what do you mean exactly, Mutar? <laughs> what do you uh, mean? I was the CEO and chairman of the company. Yeah. Giant company. And uh, he, he rephrased the question and said, he, he said, you know, we as a company, we, we're not, our innovation is not, uh, you know, startups are able to do a form of innovation that we aren't able to do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, could you focus on, could you help us do that? Could you yeah. teach Coca-Cola how to Pivot innovate like a, yeah. like a startup? And of course, at the time I said, absolutely. I can <laughs> definitely do that. 
and I left his office. I had no idea how to do that. You know? <laughs> and so, um, but anyway, that started a whole nother journey and that led to yeah. designing their venture platform and co-creating startups around the world. So sometimes, sometimes progress is the best teacher though. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I fully believe just do it, you know, just yeah. get into it and do Fake it. it, you figure make it, it. Out. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I've had this conversation with many people, most recently my girlfriend and she's really at a, a crux herself trying to figure out what to do next in her career. And she, I, I, she always asks me questions because I'm, I'm just like, look, I'm always happy to, to help you. And I'm not saying I know the answers, but I can at least tell you the answers I figured out. And the, the most important thing, like this falls into like the, there are no rules. It's like there, there are no rules and like you get to make it up as you go because making it up as you go, like some people hear that and they're like, oh, you're just wasting people's time. But no, to me, it's just like you see something that doesn't exist and you want to create a solution in that space. And there are literally no frameworks or architecture to follow. There's not, there's not a mood board you can look at to inspire yourself or like a playbook you can use. You have to figure it out. It's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of feeling like you're just stabbing in the dark. Yeah. And so it's, it's a, as you should probably attest to this, it's a hugely emotionally telling experience. That's why most people don't do it yeah, because absolutely. it takes everything. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you can get fancy or metaphysical and talk about it in terms of manifesting or absolutely. Let's but, do it. Know, as, as, <laughs> no, I, I, but I, I really believe you have to think, you know, yeah. into the, like what, what is, what are you actually trying to do? What, what would great mm -hmm. look like? You don't have to figure out how to do it, but you know, you don't believe get, in yourself. No one else will Yeah, get in, get in your mind. To, yeah. You know what, what that would look like, what success or whatever you want to phrase that, like what, what, you know, how, what going from good to great actually yeah. means for you and then just start because there's no way that for sure. you're going to have a playbook to know exactly how to get there. But you have to see it. Absolutely. And I, that's and, I, I mean. and, and that's, and that's the key thing that I think a lot of people miss is, is like, I'll use the magazine as an example. I saw it in my head. I had a vision for it and it got better over time. And if it doesn't get better over time, it's probably not the right thing at the right time. That's part one. Part two, it's like, I saw what it could be. And I said, I ignored a lot of no's. People were like, you're not going to do that. Print and paper in 2023, you're crazy. Like, but like, you know, like many things like that. And like, look, like I want to do it. If it fails, that's my, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, that's fine. But also like at this point, almost do like sheer brute force and just stubbornness. Cause I'm a very stubborn person. Like, if you want to do something, you just go and do it. And there's a very strong chance it'll happen. Unless you're trying to do something impossible or def that defies the laws of physics or is illegal. Don't do those things. But you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I also believe that I believe in a quantum leaping and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, just imagining what, you know, the, you know, the ultimate thing that whatever you're focused on, what the, the ultimate version of that. Yeah. And then when something comes, it doesn't matter that you've never done that before or never yeah. been in that whatever context or been asked to do that. Just do it. Go into mm -hmm. it. Believe you can do it and then just leap to the next thing. Yeah. And I assume like most people I look up to, um, this reminds me of a Tim Ferriss quote when he always said, people always ask to follow me around for a day. I think it'd be super interesting, but they would just see me like walking and thinking and just pondering. Maybe pull out a set of Legos, maybe cook something, maybe sit down, take a nap, like maybe go work out, go sit in the sauna. And to most people it looks like you're doing nothing, but to you, you're doing everything, right? And I'm guessing that's with you, but minus meetings. And when you're actually heads down working, like the rest of the time, it's just like, Hey, I'm just figuring it out. Yeah. You know, yeah. and people don't realize that like some of my most productive days are when I don't actually cross anything off my to-do list. I think, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I also feel like you have to have some space to dream a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not a unique thought, but you have to be able to dream and imagine, you know, yeah. and a lot of people don't, a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, mm -hmm. follow their own. You know, we're not encouraged to dream. We're not encouraged to yeah. imagine, right? And sort of, again, going back to the childhood thing, 
that's sort of beat out of you. You don't have time to imagine. No, right? there's there's no imagination. It's <laughs> you know, it's a, but I also think creating systems for yourself that allow you to give you the freedom of time to think about those things is important. So if you're, if you're spending your entire day worrying about your system or getting the basic things done, you have no time for the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, just basic things like understanding when you're most productive. Uh, yes. You know, for me, I'm a morning person. And mm-hmm. I know that. So I structure my morning, my work days. Yeah. Or my day is around that. So I'm most creative in the morning and I save meetings and, you know, like email and stuff for that. Yeah. So podcasting the other day. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You know, but this, <laughs> this is easy, right? Like this, I want you, I want you to think about this. So something that I'm always fascinated by is people's own systems, like your own system that you design for yourself. So I believe strongly in systems for all use, but the, the system that you have for yourself is the most fascinating thing to me. Hmm. Right. So as someone who is, uh, occasionally teaching, running a creative company, uh, and investing in advising early stage startups, you know, doing many things. I also don't know when you have the time to pump out these like incredibly awesome LinkedIn posts that I always see, <laughs> but like, what do you use to keep yourself on track personally? Yeah, gosh, I'll, I'll use that one since you brought it up, Rob, but, uh, I mean, I highly believe in frameworks and systems, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so f- for that, actually, uh, I mean, I'll combine a couple of things we just talked about, but, mm-hmm. um, the first, uh, just recently I started posting on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and, um, really just talking about. It's doing very well. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, thankfully it's cool, but, um, yeah. uh, but you know, I, I just, I found a, an interesting and trending story on, um, uh, I think it was fast company and then just wrote about, I think, uh, they talked about the head of design at Apple was stepping mm-hmm. down and they were having a hard time finding someone. And, um, and so I just wrote about uh, how difficult, but thrilling that job is to lead design at the company yeah. and just, and, but <laughs> But I gave three points because people typically can remember three things yep. or, or, you know, when you get past three, it's a little bit boring. You know? yep. so, three times. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I wrote that article. That worked really well. So I just kept using that same format. So mm-hmm. part of it is, and I had no idea until the first time I did it and then it worked. You know, so yeah. part, going back to what we we're talking about, you just have to start and do it. I didn't yeah. overthink it, but, you know, I saw that, that that system or that framework really seemed to work, you know, with the algorithm. So, you know, kept And that reminds me of, I tell people this all the time, people that are stuck, not sure what to do. The worst thing you can do is stay where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Just start moving. Even if if it's the wrong direction, start (laughs) moving. Because, and I draw it out for people on a chart because I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Well, it's like, if you're you're looking at a, a, like a, imagine a, imagine like a circular chart and you're in the middle and you start moving in a direction. Even though eventually I tell you that, okay, you're moving south, but you really eventually end up being north. But if you start moving slowly and you make the spiral going out to the right direction, you still have made progress in that time. Yeah. The slope, the area under the curve, right, is your progress in this in this perspective. Um, and that reminds me of this fast this system called UDA, which jet pilots, fighter jet pilots use when trying to make decisions when they're you know flying around a thousand miles an hour, being shot at by some enemy aircraft or something else, right? Like that. Um, it's uh, observe, orient, decide, act, and then looped, looped, looped. So the idea is that. You're observing what's going on. You orient yourself to where you are, where you're headed, and what's going, what, what what's supposed to happen. Decide immediately, act, and then immediately you observe that action, and then you change it. And if people just did that very simply with like everything from working out to eating, it's amazing how quickly you can change things. Yeah, wow, that's cool. So the reason why I mention that is so diving deeper into your own system, not just the framework you use, but I'm curious, like, do you use a to-do list? Do you write on a post-it note? Like, are you a calendar person? Like, what do you use to keep yourself together? Yeah, like, gosh, what is I'm the all three of those, Rob. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I think you're inside my head right now, but um, trying to but yeah, no, I mean, like, I, it, calendar is a huge one for me. So if, if it's not on my calendar, it doesn't happen, right? Cool. And vice yeah. versa, if I if I put in my calendar, I'll, I'll do it. Got it. That's one thing. I, I am a list maker and I yeah. get joy in crossing things off my list. 
for sure. I'm a post-it user and um, I don't know, Sharpie and poster post-it notes are kind of a, uh, one of those designer things like you just can't sure. get away They're from everywhere. it. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. yeah, but going back to at the sort of system level, I'm, I'm a big believer in, uh, again, modular systems. And, mm-hmm. and when I say that, I mean, looking at, you know, elements that can be fixed and flexible. So yeah. just getting really clear and you can apply this to anything, mm-hmm. what, what's fixed in your life, what's, what's flexible or, yeah. you know, this room that we're sitting in, what's a fixed component what's flexible mm-hmm. to make it actually work as a room. So yeah, anyway, these walls are pretty good. Yeah, so <laughs> no, I think about that. So like, uh, and you can apply that. It's a very simple, basic yeah. concept, but it, but that, that allows, you know, that system to adapt, and, yeah. but to, to retain the equity or the value that, that, you know, forms mm. the, the sort of structure of it. So, you know, again, I, there are some things that have to be fixed or you can't, well, this room, you have to have electricity, lights, something where to sit. Yeah. But there are other things that are flexible, like the, this is a podcast, but like the rug on the floor, you could move that rug out, bring another rug in, wouldn't really matter. And these so, interesting chairs made of like some plastic composite yeah. material. Keep staring at. But just but understanding that uh, or that using that basic framework, yeah, you know, you know, you can create endless amount of systems that can adapt. For sure. Yeah. So there's a great debate going on in the world of productivity about lists versus calendars and the combination of the two, hmm. right? So I've been the person where I've tried to take my to-do things and put them as calendar events and give and, and like, so like that structure my time. The problem is, is like any good creative, I am terrible at assessing how long something actually takes because you don't know. Sometimes yeah. you find the solution in two minutes. Sometimes you find the solution in 20 days, yeah. as you know well. So are you someone that basically says, these are the immovable objects as you just mentioned on your calendar, like the meeting maybe with someone on your team that's super important, meeting with a client, you say, okay, I have this amount of time. This is what I have to get in that time. Yeah, I use, um, again, this sounds very formulaic, but uh, I don't mean to be, but yeah, the things that are on my calendar, uh, it's funny that we're talking about this, yeah. but the things that are on my calendar are fixed. So those For things sure. will absolutely get done. It's mm-hmm. a meeting, it's a call, it's a yeah. uh, whatever, something. Unrestricted the time to make sure something gets done. Yes. yes, but the things on my list are flexible. So um, so again, if it if it absolutely has to happen or mm-hmm. something, there's some You will schedule the time for yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's on my calendar. But I also have a uh, you know, sort of long list of things that, yeah. that could happen that mm-hmm. day. If they don't, they flip to another day or another week, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, but uh, yeah. So the reason why I bring all this up, not because it's honestly, it's, it's a very popular issue and very pop, not issue, uh, topic of understanding, okay, yeah. right? Because, because I'm a big believer that, um, I have a good friend, he works for Apple and he doesn't use his to-do list mm-hmm. and he keeps it all mentally. And I told him, I said, if you just were to write down everything you had to do, I think you would be 50% less stressed immediately. Yeah. Just trying to remember the things you have to do. Cause like, there's no way I used to try to do that with homework. Mm -hmm. And then I missed one too many homework assignments or forgot there's a test next day. One too many times. And I became like, I have a do list. I have a calendar. Right. That's how to keep it going. Yeah. But there's these interesting trend in productivity apps. Cause everyone has like, I like this app called things. Mm -hmm. That's the to do list app I use. Cause it's just like, it's super powerful and I'm like hyper OCD and it allows you to be hyper OCD. (laughs) Right. But there's this new app called Ami. It's like it's spelled like Amy, like uh, like amiable, like uh, the friend in French. A M I E. It's this Swedish app, and it's this really clean interface. They're still on beta. I can get you an invite to test it. I'm not involved with the company whatsoever, but I think it's interesting because of the first company to really say you have a to do list, you have a calendar. It integrates all calendars from Microsoft, from Google, from yeah. whatever you want, and then the to do list lives on them. And then you set. You basically can drag things to do list onto your calendar to fill a space, and then you can put it back at the to do list. Basically, you can move things constantly between whether it's a to do or an event. 
okay. And then the things that are like invites other people, those are, those, it'll tell you like, hey, this is not moving unless you want to tell someone else. Yeah. But it's cool because it starts creating that relationship a lot of people don't have in their brain where it's just like this one thing takes that amount of time. Ooh, I can't do this many things in that much time in one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I'm curious to see what the, they've gotten great response so far. I think the product is very far away from getting to where it needs to be. Because my biggest thing was this, is that they want you to assess the amount of time that you think something will take. And I think that's unrealistic. I'd rather say I have to prep the podcast with David, right? That's, that's, that was one of my to-do items, right? I'm going to put it in a swath of time between two meetings that I know I have enough time to get enough done. And if I need more time, I'm going to come back to it. But it's hard to like make it do that because you're talking about like an unflexible creative system and trying to apply to something that's rot. Yeah. And so I'd be curious to hear your thinkings on like, if you had to do that, if you had, if you were making something like this, what would you do? Like, what would you want to create to help people simplify their life? Well, number one, I do agree with the advice you gave to your friend. I think, uh, you know, getting lists or tasks out of your head mm-hmm. into a, some sort of format on your phone or whatever, you know, write it down, whatever, uh, is can free up your life. And uh, for yes. me, I learned that, I'll come back to your question, but mm-hmm. I learned that, uh, especially when I was working at Coke and it, it was just a, a super complex yeah. company, super complex job. And I traveled everywhere all the time, multiple time zones and all that. And so, you know, trying to carry everything around in my head was just not going to happen for me, totally. for me personally. So Anyway, I would always advocate to get it out of your head onto something. Um, but yeah, to, to me, I don't know. I, I again, to, I guess the app, I don't know. I've never heard of the app until you talked yeah. about it. But for me, I think, um, I mean, there are certain creative tasks that are, that it's very difficult to put time to time box them. And then there are other mm-hmm. uh, things that are, you know, you can, that are very easy to predict how much time they will take. So yeah. just getting really clear for on sure. that and realistic on those, uh, I think is, is part of it. So. Yeah, and the one thing that you brought up that important that you it's important. I'm glad you said is getting things out of your head because I've gotten to a point with my to do list that I'll wake up in the morning and I'll meditate and I'll have a clear head, and somebody can be like, "What are you supposed to do today?" And I'll be like, "I don't know," and that's a good thing yeah. because you've created that separation where it's this beautiful, rich pool of things you can do that create opportunity for you or things you have to be paid for, which is also opportunity yeah. that you can pull from any point in time. Same thing with the calendar, right? Like. I wear an Apple watch always. And like, I have the the newer ultra and like two of the little widgets in there is like my to-do list as a ring. Like it fills up when I've done everything I'm supposed to do today. Okay. Right. And the other one is like a little calendar. It says the next time something's coming. Hmm. And like, I'm the kind of person where like my iPhone is like so customized when it comes to settings at this point, it's basically a different phone, but I only have my phone ring when someone calls me, but they're on like an approved call list during different times. There's like three different windows. So like if it's, if it's, Sleeping at nighttime, my girlfriend, my sister, my mom, my dad, my grandma, any of their calls will come through unrestricted. No issues. Mm-hmm. I have a secondary list that I call Polly, just like as in like the Greek form, like many, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's basically like everyone I work with adjacently. So if I'm on a project, I add the people that are appropriate for this project. I add like some of my VCs. I add people that I would go on there. People that I always take a call from like Brian Collins or, or you enter this list. And basically it's the idea where it's like during the normal work day, if they're calling me, it's because something is wrong or because there's an opportunity mm. or they want to talk. But also I know people like you or Brian, is it going to call me in the middle of the day because you're also busy, you know? And that's kind of thing. And then the, and the other mode is just like kind of a beta, between, a, 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 a delta between the two of those. But the most people ever let it call me is that list. 
and the rest of people just get screened. And if it's important, then I'll call them back. Yeah. But it's rarely ever important. Mm-hmm. So the point I'm making is that my phone will only light up or buzz for two things. Calls from one of those people or calendar events. Yeah. It simplifies your life. Yeah. Yes. That's and what it's, it's amazing. So yeah. Because I like I when I first started dating my girlfriend, her phone would buzz like every 30 seconds. <laughs> and it was because at the time she's working for BlackRock. So she had a work email coming in. She, you know, fears aren't going to be so very big on Snapchat and her generation. It's Instagram notifications. Like, but when we were, before we were official, I'm sure it was like dating app notifications too. Like that's just how it works, but it's constant. And versus now like Apple is trying to simplify for you. At least I can't speak for Androids, but like they want you to spend less time on your phone. Some apps don't. Instagram, TikTok want to yeah. monopolize your time. Feed into that. But yeah. Apple, I think has understood that by getting you to spend less time on your phone, you gain more appreciation for device. Right? Like back in the days, the iPod, like the original iPod. If it didn't just play music that you wanted to play, it had no purpose. That was its sole purpose. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right? So if you picked up your iPod and suddenly it was distracting you from what you wanted to do, then it didn't serve its purpose. And unfortunately, the iPhone is this, because it's so dynamic, people can add distractions in there. It's like the thing that pisses me off the most is when trying to load a web page. And it's stuck because it's trying to load the ads of the page. <laughs> the things you don't want. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. But like I, yeah. I'm a big fan of like the 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 proxy that if you are not paying for the product, you are the product. Hmm. Right? And so like I look at TikTok, I look at the amount of data they take down. And I'm like, they should be paying you for the amount of data they're getting off of you. Yeah. Right. And they, I guess they are. They're paying you with content that's being made by not them. Yeah. You know. I don't know the tangent I'm going down, but I guess I guess I guess the point I'm trying to make at all this is just like there are so many things vying for our attention on a daily basis. There's so many things that deserve our attention. There are many things that don't. Yeah. The delta between those is success. Yeah. Right. And so I'm always curious to talk to people like you who have who have done you know you currently run so what, which is how many people or is it kind of dynamic? Uh, we, I mean, we just started up, so it's uh, right now it's four people. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Compare that to Coke. Yeah. Right. Almost a million people. Million, yeah. 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 Globally, a million people, right? That's, that's crazy. Yeah. And so I'm always fascinated hearing advice from people that have done both sides. Because as you know, they're completely different ball games and different ballparks, different planets. Yeah. So what systems do you, are you, are you just say that someone listening to this right now is also thinking about starting an early stage company or a studio or something. Maybe they have experience, maybe they don't. Maybe they have a list of clients that would be happy to have do work for them or maybe they're just starting out, right? What are some of the systems you learned at a big established organization that immediately are effective in something, a fraction of its size? Yeah. You know, I mean, one is easy and most, you know, most people do this, but um, actually there's a, there's a great, you haven't watched this. I think he's, he's the number one, two or three most watched Ted talk, but uh, Simon Sinek mm-hmm. on the, yeah. on the, you know, um, why framework that he created, but, um, yeah. you know, understanding like why you're doing something is sort of, uh, is always key. So for, for me, I carried that from, well, the first time I saw that, that, uh, Ted talk, I carried that into Coke. And then now we work with different clients to help them do that, find their why, but you know, and, and the, if you haven't seen it, the one person that hasn't seen it, but, uh, um, <laughs> uh, I mean the, really the, the quote that he has is that people buy what, why we do what we do, not what we do. And so just really understanding why you're in a company, why you're starting a company, you know, just understanding the the why, taking time to, to understand the why versus the what, you know, what yeah. you want to do 
in terms of creating something or doing something. So anyway, starting with that and getting really clear on exactly why we're doing this is, mm -hmm. is key. Um, uh, and then uh, second thing is, uh, again, coming back to that fixed and flexible thing. So starting up a company, there's certain things that have to happen. Certain yeah. things, there are certain costs, there's certain you have to generate revenue and there are always be costs. So understanding number one, understanding what those <laughs> yeah. components are and then yeah. trying to get a, a sense of what the flexible things are. In other words, hiring sure. people, you know, where yeah. you're going to sit, what, you know, these different things that will change over time. So just anyway, starting up something, understanding what's fixed, what's flexible. Startup costs are huge. Yeah, all that. And uh, um, so it, I, I only ask this because so I started my own um, adjacent company to what, what So What is doing. And, um, I use it as a masterclass to how to start a company and my, for myself, because I didn't, I still really don't know what I'm doing, which I, which I appreciate, but like having a lot of people at, on my board that I looked up to on my board of my company, yeah. I could always ask them questions. And I've learned so many little things about different people and different ideas that I've kind of put together into what makes sense for me. And I'm sure you have that as well. Yeah. I was gonna say, well, that, that's really smart, Rob. Uh, and, uh, obviously you know this could be. You did it, but um, yeah, but I, you know, <laughs> always but yeah. learning, you know, yeah, being open to advice, and no matter where you are in your career or your life, for sure, being you know, having mentors, having people in your yeah. life that you trust that you can bounce things off of, is key. And you, I mean, you'd be surprised how many people don't, you know. So anyway, very smart. It's I, I appreciate that. Thank you. But I I think so. One of the big things of this podcast I try to do is is reduce the information to something that someone can take away immediately and use. Yeah. Right. So imagine someone's listening Absolutely. this right right now, and they are in this position where they're starting something new. What is, from a systems approach that we just talked about, what is something that they could do immediately for very little money that would make a huge difference in like the first few months of work? Yeah, well, I'll try to connect a couple of dots Please. there. So, yeah. you know, if you're in a company and you don't know how to get to the next level, mm -hmm. find someone who's in that level and ask them to be your mentor. Yeah. That's one. Never be afraid <laughs> to ask for help, yeah. Yeah, but, but do that. And because people always, there's science behind it, but when you're asked to do something, yeah. you feel better about you know, doing the thing that someone's asked you to do. There's yeah. a, I don't know what all the science, but anyway, um, you know, so find someone who's in a position or close to the position or doing the thing that you think you want to do and yeah. ask them to be your mentor. That's hands down. The first thing I would do inside, if you're inside of a company and not sure you yeah. know, where to go with that. Um, and then, you know, again, going back to that, why thing, understanding why you want to do the thing, not, mm -hmm. be, not, not the, what you want to make more money or you want to be called something, some sort of title. But like, you know, what yeah. is the real why? Because that, that why might not be answered in that position. You, in other words, you might get to that position or be in that role and it may not actually be the thing that you, you know, might not address the why. That yeah. You, so, yeah. Interesting. Um, your company's four people. Are they all full-time right now? Yeah. 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 It's not so small when you say it that way, but yeah, sure. I'm quite proud of it. Good. <laughs> no, I, I mean, that's, that's a design agency that we, that we started. Uh, and in fact, um, I don't even know if we've talked about this, but Based on that LinkedIn mm -hmm. article that you, you were just referring to, or articles, um, I've had a lot of interest from heads of design uh, actually around the world who reached out and said, hey, you did this job at Coke. It's a really hard job. Uh, there's not a lot of, it can be a lonely job. Yeah. And, uh, and it's actually, uh, once you're in the job, there's a lot of on-the-job training, no matter, yeah. what, you know, no matter what you know about design or the company. Yeah. So you know, would you be interested in, in uh, coaching? And so anyway, we're about to launch another company. Uh, it's called Veep. It's the first time I've ever said this out loud, but um, uh, Veep, uh, mm -hmm. V-E-E-P, and um, uh, for mainly targeted uh, VPs of design in different companies. Amazing. And, uh, you know, actually working, you know, getting, you know, rolling up sleeves, helping them actually figure out 
what their business plan is, how they yeah. can create, you know, case studies around the value of design. Absolutely. How they can build their team, how mm -hmm. they can scale a team globally, you know, these types of things. And I, and I think something that I just, I'm sure you thought of as well, but like that would be such a good podcast or Ted talk style thing where each person or entity that you work with is its own, I hate using the word case study, but you know what I'm saying? Like is this own yes. and where, where people, story, yeah. story, yeah. right? And that's something that I've been talking to Brian Collins a lot recently about. The way that the design industry does case studies now is broken. And so I have refused to release any work my company has done until I think of a better way to display work than case studies. Mm -hmm. And so I am at this, I am at this crux. And it is hilarious because I just, when, people, when clients are like, but you don't have any work on your site. I'm like, here's a portfolio you can look at. And they're like, why isn't this public? I'm like, well, because I have such a problem with the way that work is displayed, right? And I think that company like yours, company like Collins, company like, um, you know, any of the other genuinely creative, smaller, independent design firms, it's it's on you guys. It's on us mm -hmm. really to figure that out because the pentagrams and the Ogilvy's aren't going to do it because, you know, I appreciate work that all these massive firms have done. Like some of it's good, some of it's not. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I'm sure you have your own opinions, right? But at some point, they realize like the consulting model, they can make a lot of money doing the exact same thing with like 1% difference. Yeah, copy paste. So yeah, and as you know, Rob, uh, anybody in the, I'll call it creative industry, yeah. there's so many factors that come into play. So you can yeah. have a great, uh, a well-articulated problem or brief uh, or not. You can have a great team that you're working with and have yeah. great chemistry or not. Yeah. Uh, the timing of the company, where the company is and its growth trajectory yeah. can be the perfect timing to do something Whatever, yeah. new or interesting or not you know there's all, there's all these these different factors that come in so just creating some sort of two-page case study on how the thing worked yeah it, it doesn't capture all the dynamic you know no. interplay of all that stuff no for sure i mean from a physics perspective i think about like a mobius strip right so people that aren't familiar if, if you were to take uh imagine cutting like a one inch wide strip of paper off like a normal eight and a half by 11 printer paper and then you take that paper and like you were taping them together but just twist it once and tape it together so realize that you can constantly be going it's a one-sided shape 3d shape right yeah and um as, as you know but i, I try to explain things yeah, out no, 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 for right, sure no, no and and um and I, I don't know if you want to stop me or add no, anything no, no, no. you know great um but i think of it like that it's you, you you're trying to you're trying to show something with depth by also maintaining right. a single direction. Yeah. And it's a Mobius strip. Yeah. And I can't think of any better way to, to do it than that. But turning that into something is hard. And I've been spending a lot of time thinking about it. And I'm gonna bring you into this conversation now too, because I just think I just think there's so much more we can do, especially with the technology at the point it's at in terms of access. Yeah. Hmm. You know? Um, and also with cases there's there's, a, there's another there's another dimension there. And I think uh, to use the Collins example does this really well, is they don't just show the logo and like five slides of what they did. They show everything. Here is all the illustrations. Here is all the words. Here's all all that. And many people have asked Brian to his face, and I've been there, and they, and they ask him, aren't you worried someone's going to copy that? And he's like, I'm sure they already have. He's like, that's not why we did it, right? And also, they're going to, everyone, everyone knows who did who did it first. And, that's, and that matters and it doesn't. But also, like, if you make something that's so good that it's copied a hundred times, that's a great thing. You know, like the product of Coca-Cola Classic is a good example. You know how many cola knockoffs there are? Even Pepsi. 
right? I know they're probably going to get mad at me for saying they don't don't appreciate that. But like, look, like, and and there's a history there and there's beef and et cetera, et cetera. But like the end of the day, it's like, it's a preference thing. I'm sure there's someone out there that loves RC Cola more than Coca-Cola. There has to be at least one person. Right, there's someone that probably likes the three six the the, the the whole the Whole Foods three six five Coca Cola ripoff, yeah. you know, with with that's not. I don't know if you've ever had it before. It's, it's yeah, just, I it's doubt just, it. It's just not good. Well, I'm sure you be you being Coke adjacent. I'm sure, um, but yeah, I, I, t- the the point of this entire tangent is this. I think as creatives, it falls on us, and some people hate that word creatives even, to bring everyone into this. I think there is still a part of design that wants to make it this like elitist group mm-hmm. where you're either in or you're out. And I think you and I are on the side of saying like, no, we want everyone to be involved in this process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I'm definitely there. Yeah. Because, yeah. cause like I look at most cars on the road today and I see like, a, like the new Ford Explorer is a great example. I look at that and I'm like that passed through 10, 000, thousands and thousands and thousands of approvals and meetings and things and it still looks like that and it still drives like shit. How? You know, like at any point in time, someone needs to take responsibility and start making better things. I'm sure they just, this is the easiest, most efficient, like this is obviously like let computers and you let a can like it's a camel. You know, I'm sure the buttons look great individually. I'm sure this headlight is great, but like as a component, this is what happens when you like have systems designed where the systems aren't talking to each other. Yeah. They're lucky it comes together at the end. Yeah, well, I, but I think that that is I mean, again, I'm a systems freak, but um, for sure. But that I think that that's the, the sort of root problem to a lot of that. So just understanding how and everything interrelates and making sure that you design that way is is part of the challenge. And that's why you know companies look at and they're not perfect, but you know companies like Apple are pulled out or singled out to talk about how great their uh, their focus mm. on design or design driven they are. Yeah. But it's it's really just that it's making sure that all the components are aware mm-hmm. and connected with each other. And that's, it sounds super easy, but not many companies do that. And it's actually, it's quite difficult. To do that. So it's, it's not just, you know, I want yeah. to do it or I don't want to do it. It's, it's actually super complex. So. I challenged someone else recently to think about if they can name a, a single other company that thinks about design systems on the level that Apple does. And I can't come up with one. Yeah, I don't know. I look for these things, um, but I, I, you know, in my opinion, Rob. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, sure. No, no, no. There's a, there's a, uh, there's one of my favorite restaurants in town. That's very uh, low key, but I mean, it's consistent. Yeah. Every, all the pieces interrelate. All of, all of them connect. Sure. So I think that it's just a way of thinking, and mm. most people just don't uh, are are looking are, are trained or are not, no, for yeah, sure aware to think that way. Yeah, yeah and so I, I was thinking in the lens of like established companies that everyone yeah, no, knows about. No, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. But, but you make a good point. Cause like my favorite place in New York, you know, I always take clients here and it's this place. I don't want to say it. There's this book. Cause it, cause it's, it's one of the things that like, it can be ruined by people just knowing what it is. And I, and I hate that. I want them to get business, but like it's a small bar on the bar that shall be not be named. Shall be names. Uh, it's, it's, it's on canal. It's on near canal, the intersection of canal don't division, give not giving it away. Like in that area of New York, there's like eight, thousand bars so there's like it could be 80 bars right now but it's this place that makes no sense but they have amazing food amazing drinks everything comes out on time it's well priced and the crowd is always fantastic that's what i'm saying it's very well designed yes that's what i'm saying but to the average person you look like you're walking in some kind of like surf shack it's like it's like the man cave from the movie i love you man there's just like 
there's there's jerseys and there's art and there's memorabilia and there's Bart Simpson with his ass hanging out hanging on the wall and there's like an elk head and there's it's everything that shouldn't be together together but it works yeah but that's the you know the the power of design can actually I mean that that sounds like that bar is quite successful very which is the goal of the business right so for sure designing you know all these things to to relate with each other yeah to actually drive the end result yeah. is, is what design is all about but but it's not yeah. aesthetics right and that's what it's not what get caught up on the, the the second part that i didn't mention is that this bar is one that actually like my godmother used to own and run and good for her <laughs> and but the thing is is as knowing her she didn't care if it made money or not. it made a it did very well but she also didn't care like it 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 it, it she just she's like this is what i like I wanted to do what I know works and I know that works well together. Yeah. And I'm thinking other people will like that as well. Yeah. Great designer. Yeah. <laughs> but that's no different than like what, uh, you know, I th- actually, when I think about design systems, now that I think about it, like test the Elon Musk, Musk umbrella of companies does a really good job with design. Like Richard Daney, who I'm sure you've, you've met before who, who designed people. I don't know. He did the original NASA worm logo and style guide, probably the most famous and one of the best style guides ever made in 76 um he was brought back on as consultant by spacex to make sure they were using the worm logo properly on the fuselage of the falcon 9 for this nasa missions attention to detail yes but most companies wouldn't do that also this is the most amazing thing. this is why it happened spacex is a company of like thirteen thousand people which is pretty amazing what they do with that that few number of people do you know know how big their design team is yeah no idea two 13,000 people. Two. Yeah. <laughs> Two people working the design team. It is one guy, and recently he got an assistant. He got he got someone else to help him do the work. But literally all SpaceX design for close to 10 years is one single person. The final look of the brand, the final look at the spaceships, the final look at the spacesuits, one person. Wow. Tesla design, one person. That's cool. And and that's cool because, and that's why people are like, wow, there's such a, such a design symmetry. And that's why something like Apple always amazes me because their design team is not one person. It's hundreds of people. Yeah. And they're coming together to make these different devices all at the same time. And it's and the thing about Apple is being the most valuable company in the world with supply chains that literally span our entire planet. You have to be really careful about the stock market, how shareholders are viewing you, and s- privacy and security, like keeping secrets private. So like that building they have, the beautiful, you know, spaceship one, there's nine sections. And within those sections, you can move anywhere. But in order to switch into sections, you have to badge in the next section. Hmm. So like one section will mostly have things about the iPhone because like, you know, someone may work on the iPhone camera and they also may need to go talk to someone working on the iPhone logic board because those play into each other. Yeah. But the next door is audio and the audio people don't want to know what's like the AirPods people don't get to know what's going on the iPhone and vice versa. Hmm. Right. And very few people at Apple actually get to access the entire ring. And it's very fascinating how that works. Yeah. There's like systems within systems to protect the systems to exist with for the systems to do well. And that makes me really happy. You know, I've always want to have access to Apple's internal style guide system because I know they have one and I know it's immense and epic and it's dynamic and constantly being made and changed. And that's, that to me is like perfection of, of what I think the future of design system is, yeah. you know, like if tomorrow a fortune 50 company came to you and said, we have $25 million to do a full rebrand. You have a year and a half to do it. Right. Yes. <laughs> for for yes sure, but I, I didn't. I'm not even. I'm not even worried. I know I'm yes kidding. is the answer. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But but seriously, the, what I think about is, what would you do to set it apart? Like if you're four, because because here's the thing. As I tell people this, 
You don't need a team of 100 to do that. I think a, a, a sophisticated team of four can do one project for a year and a half. You're going yeah. to need to hire help. You're going to need to bring in people for different things. But like the main core four can do it. Yeah, there was a, Robbie making me think of uh, one of the, uh, we had four design principles at uh, Coke. And one of them was uh, how to be utterly familiar yet continually surprising. Hmm. And I think that, that that one principle can apply to exactly the, the yeah. opportunity you just talked about. So understanding what makes especially a successful or mm -hmm. let's say established or uh let's say a century old company yeah uh what makes them authentic mm -hmm. or you know familiar is key that they can't they can never lose that yeah but if they if they rest on that they'll never advance and never attract the next generation absolutely so, so being utterly familiar yet continually surprising is quite easy to say yeah quite difficult to do so very difficult to do so that what you just said that example especially if it's a, a Again, a successful company. Yeah, being able to understand that and design for that is, yeah. is quite difficult. Again, easy to say, but quite difficult. It is, and and I always thought you needed a village because I forget that my idea of a job through aerospace is aerospace jobs are congressional job creators. So if uh, you know what my advisor would always tell me is why buy one thing for a hundred million when you could buy two for two hundred million, and the point he was making is like the F-35 fighter jet costs as much as it does and as ridiculous as it is in terms of like different supply chains because different congressmen and women wanted to have a plant or office in their district because it was a tax money. Like you you know it's not going to be defunded. You know it's always going to be there and it's a lot of money. And they obviously get a kickback from that as well. That's why politics are fucked up. There's a whole other podcast for another day. <laughs> but like that's what I always used to think. Like you, oh, you need a thousand people to design one part. You don't, you know? I, I was thinking about when I was at Collins and the and the busiest time the office was, there were three creative directors. There were probably three, two or three senior designers, uh, half dozen designers, another maybe half, like three or four associate designers. There was someone that ran finance, someone that ran talent, someone that ran operations, someone like me who was running around with their head cut off trying to help in whatever way I could. Uh, and then there was a systems design person and there was three strategy people and there was a copywriter and an executive assistant, right? So that's what, 20, 22 people. Same time they were doing Spotify, uh, Dropbox, uh, a couple small startups that no one's ever heard of, um, three different brands for Target, Allen Edmonds, um, Equinox. And this is all in the span of a few months. And they, and they did it all. Yeah. And it was the most beautiful chaos. And it made me realize like you don't need a ton of people to achieve something great. You just need the right people doing the yeah, right stuff. The right people, right. So actually that, that brings up a good question for me, a question I get a lot. Some companies want to buy process, right? But when a company pays you, particularly David Butler, to design their brand identity with their team, sometimes you just see it. Sometimes in the meeting, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, you know exactly what you're going to do and that idea is the one that you end up selling to them two months later and they're paying a lot of money for. But how, this is, goes back to the thing, I'm an, you know, Imagine this is going out to someone starting a new company that wants to charge the right price. Because once you start charging, it's really hard to raise or change prices, as you know. But some companies scoff when you're like, it's $100,000 and it really only takes me eight hours, but you don't tell them that. So how do you kind of thread that needle between selling process, because people like that, they make it feel like they're getting their money's worth, yeah. while also ensuring that the person feels valued for what? they're paying for yeah i think it's a balance and uh you know this of course but um uh it's a balance uh understanding 
and, and the example you just framed out, uh, understanding the company's strategy is critical. Uh, so sure. really understanding it uh, to, and designing for that future or yeah. for that that endeavor, you know, whatever the endeavor is, um, whether it's going public or I mean, whatever the, whatever the, the strategy is. So understanding that upfront is is critical. Yeah, because even totally. if I could come up with a great, great creative idea, if you can't, again, connect that strategy, it doesn't do anything. It's just a, a great creative idea. So I understand what you're saying. And, mm. and um, actually there was a, we were talking about this just recently in, in our agency. Um, uh, you're right. A, a creative solution can take, you can come up with something or come up with an idea yeah. uh, in the shower, you mm -hmm. know, when you're just out of nowhere <laughs> almost, you know, and, yeah. and, or it could take you eight weeks and you never get there, you know, mm -hmm. but so you can't really price no. a job or an assignment based on the amount of time you think you, you know, the creativity will yeah. kick in and, and bring it, but you can create the context around that. So that's, yeah. again, that's why I'm a big believer in, understanding the company strategy or the organization strategy or your own life strategy uh, in order to get to that creativity. So, yeah, that's yeah. like, that's perfect. That's exactly what, <laughs> what I was yeah. like. Yeah. Great. Um, so what, so you have a few new things going on, but I do want to talk about early stage companies. Something sure. that I have a lot of experience, awesome. quote unquote, a lot of experience with, and you would probably have, vastly more experience than I do with it. Whatever. We all Whatever. It doesn't matter. But it's like, so, so when you're investing in an early stage company, what are you looking for? And this is a highly subjective question, obviously. Yeah. Uh, a few things. So number one, I mean, just, you know, just a few things come to the top, to top of mind, but yeah. uh, you know, there's a sort of whole phase of due diligence that, mm -hmm. you know, an investor would do, but, but just a couple of things. So number one, the founder, the person, yeah. you know, really understanding at the end of the day, it's going to be about that person doing something, you yeah, know, right. and so um, making sure that you're betting on the right person is, uh, uh, meaning, you know, what do they like? What are they, you know, how, who are they? What are they, what are they, what are they trying to do out of this? Uh, so anyway, the person, the market opportunity, is there a, a big enough space you know, to, to grow a market? You know, is the, is the market large enough to, to gain yeah. share across of a, across a whole market? Um, uh, number three, you know, the product or the idea that they have, have they found product market fit? Maybe. Mm -hmm. I can say this is the best product in the world, but if no one will pay for it, then yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. Is my opinion, yeah. right? So just, I mean, those are three basics. Uh, but you know, understanding the person, the market, and the product market fit uh, between whatever they're trying to to do. Hmm. And do you ever just meet a founder and just realize, like, you have that gut feeling? You're like, this is going to work out. I will do the diligence anyways because it's important. But like. I want to back this person regardless. The size of my backing may change based on due diligence, but like this is someone I want to see. Yeah, to. no, I know what you're saying, but it kind of comes down to as uh, more sort of investor um, uh, specific. But if it's your own money, yeah, then yeah, I, I, don't, I would for sure have no problem making that but decision. But someone else's money, someone else's money, then sure. no. <laughs> so you know, just ensuring that you know, yeah. again, if you're investing through a, a venture capital fund, it's mm -hmm. other people's money, and so that you know, the, the return has to be there. Yeah, but if it's my own money, then I, I'm. That could be much more subjective. And do you do both then? Do you invest your own money and? Uh, I don't currently invest now. I have in the past, but I, yeah. I don't currently. So I'm I'm not looking to invest. But um, yeah. but I have I have invested other people's money. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah. You know, so um, uh, but but yeah, I think it's it's actually much more difficult to invest others. You know, other money. It is. Yeah. And so I'm most fascinated by um. So Naval, the guy I mentioned earlier, who did Angel List, who's brought so much value to so many new companies that would have probably never seen the light of day. Um, so very thankful for that. Um, I just think any 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 new ideas is, is worth thinking about at least for a couple yeah. seconds, right? But 
he launched a new VC fund. I think it's called Spearhead VC. And it's fully based on the network of people that are constantly interacting with others that are potentially doing great. Hmm. And so they don't, I think they have a couple LPs. They might have a couple people full time, but most of it is just like a network of individuals. Someone like, be like someone like you or I, who's always working with new people being like, I really think this is worth your time. I'll do the diligence and deliver it to you. But when they make the investment, that's that's their risk. You don't take any risk in that thing, yeah. but they also give you a cut of that investment. Hmm. So you are monetarily incentivized and ownership incentivized to give good value to these companies. Basically, you're creating a system through investing that allows for more democratization and access to wealth. Hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's cool, kind of yeah. how VC funds are going. It's no longer going to be the room of a bunch of people making decisions. You know, or like you have to call this person 20 times where they like pay attention to you. Yeah. So I think the current world of venture capital investing is so toxic. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of opinions and a lot of uh, just stuff around that. But, you know, and again, yeah. it's as, uh, you know, frankly, as two white men sitting in a room, it's, yeah. it's one thing Privileged to say, white but if you're, men. yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. If you're a person of color or, or no, it's a woman, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost impossible, right? So it's, well, I think I was reading recently there. that like, uh, Less than 10% of all VC funds go to founders of color, women founders, or the the lowest category is found, women, female founders of color is like 0.1% or something terrible in the churches. Yeah, a tremendous amount of opportunity to change. <laughs> yes, so. absolutely. And, and I think, as you said, everyone's a designer, you know. And I'm and like I want to talk about travel because I, I, I'm, I travel a lot. I know you're big into travel as well. And I'm sure you've seen this, but like... Um, Especially when I go to a place like Africa, like in the past year, I've been, I spent like two months in South Africa. I spent a ton, ton time in Tanzania. I just went to Morocco recently. Hmm. Um, and everyone there would kill someone. And I mean that in the actual form to have a chance to be an Uber driver or a McDonald's line worker in America. Because the, the access that we have here and this idea of people, like when people are jobless and they can't find the job, I usually say it's a you problem, not a system problem. Because there are so many opportunities out there. And at some point in time, people are going to say, I don't have the skills, but I'm willing to get the skills. And that means I have to eat my ego for a bit. You know, sometimes the best job for people is to work at McDonald's for a year. But if that means they get financially stable and they can spend the rest of their time going to school at night or becoming mentally stable or something else, that's great. So the point of the question I'm getting to is, what are the different things recently through travel that you've learned that have really impacted the way you see at least the work you do now? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I'm very well traveled. And uh, one thing that uh, I love about travel, especially when I say travel, I mean getting outside of the U.S., yeah. uh, is it expands your worldview on everything, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, just people, yeah. whatever, religion, sp spirituality, yeah. uh, you know, food, yeah. you know, just all these basic things that, that can be very <laughs> culture is what you're talking yeah, about. Culture, yeah. Culture. Yeah. And, uh, and, but, but again, I, I feel like it's very important to travel because yep. things are always changing. The world's changing, you know? Sure. So anyway, I think that that's, uh, just, that should be part of, yeah. Yeah. You know, given the opportunity and you know, it's, uh, not everyone have that opportunity, but, but, yeah. you know, understanding the, the value of travel, mm -hmm. again, getting outside of your context is yeah. key to, you know, learning, growing, and and I would I would just share for the people out there that feel like they can't afford it or they can't find the time to do it, I challenge people to do it because travel is way more accessible than you think. 
because the, the lens of travel that most people see travel as is, oh, they want to go to Florida for spring break. And they're not realizing that that's like a microcosm of like the most expensive trip to the most expensive place during that period of time. But like, realistically, they could go do a safari Port- in Africa or go to Portugal, or, or, go to Portugal yeah, yeah. or even go to Canada and go to Banff yeah. or go to Hawaii. Or that's actually another Florida type place. But like, my point is that, so I gave up my apartment in Seattle, April 30th, 2021. I moved into my new apartment December 13th, like less than a month ago. During that entire span of time, I had no permanent home base. I was just full, I hate the word nomad, but I was just throwing myself in a metal tube around the world is what I usually usually like to say. But in that time period, I looked at my spending and I take away the things that are like super, like I'm not talking about clothes because like I actually bought less clothes. I bought less material goods. I bought more things like art and cool things I found along my way because that's obviously the best, one of the best parts about traveling. But like, even flying and I, and I utilize like miles and upgrades and status, but like every trip over an ocean was in business class. I'm in first class because I upgraded most of the time. I'm staying in nice hotels. I have nice Airbnbs. I'm renting nice rental cars. It was still cheaper than me having a shipbox apartment in New York <laughs> and going out to dinner once a week. I'm not kidding. Like it's amazing how accessible this is if people are willing to just be flexible. But the problem is society's basically said, Yes, go get a $200,000 degree and pay two grand a month for many, many years and student loans, if you can even afford that, if not less than that and pay even more interest. Go pay $2,000 a month for rent because that's what you should be paying. It's okay to spend an extra grand a month on clothes to stay in style. It's okay to spend an extra $500 on subscriptions and Netflix to watch all the newest TV shows. It's okay to, I mean, you get where I'm going, right? Go out with friends in New York City three times a week and spend a hundred bucks a night. But if you add all that up, you could very efficiently travel around the world while still working and offsetting up the entire time and probably like your life a bit more. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, this <laughs> way you, what you just framed out Rob is, uh, just the process of you unlearning, you know, and I think that that's yeah. key to, to growth, just, you know, challenging what you've been taught yeah, or what you feel like, you know, uh, and in some cases unlearn that, right. We are all constructs of the stories we tell ourselves or agree to or yeah. agree to. Yeah. Right. And that's a lot of it, you know? Um, I have friends, very close friends that like had parents that were very supportive, but some of the simple things they were doing that they believe were supportive was actually derogatory to their future growth and curiosity, Hmm. especially when it comes to schooling. Like there are many parents that want to give their kids the absolute best opportunity possibly available, but also by doing that, really kind of put blinders on on the kid's potential future. Hmm. Um, I think you've probably seen that, yeah. especially with helicopter parents. Yeah. Um, so the, the last thing I kind of want to talk to kind of wrap everything up when we're talking about systems and thinking. So you uh, shared with me earlier that you went through a, a, a pretty rough divorce five years ago. Mm-hmm. So your youngest was 11 and your oldest was 16, right? So my parents divorced when I was six mm-hmm. and it was like a week after 9-11. Yeah. It was finalized, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I've learned because a lot of my friends have divorced parents all at different stages of life. It's always different. It's There's never the same cookie cutter situation, right? So what systems have you developed with your daughters post-divorce to make sure that you can still be there to support them? And I, and I, and I get, I want to, I want this to kind of be in the lens of like divorce is now becoming very common, right? People are getting married even less now. So it's going to become even, yeah. even less, it's going to be less common because of that. But like, I think many people out there would would benefit from some level of advice from this. 
as someone who spent their life focusing on systems and loving them, I'm sure you've created some fantastic ones to maintain healthy relationships in an environment that may not foster them naturally. Yeah, well, a couple of things. Uh, it's a couple inter uh, twenty things there. So, you know, as as people, in mm-hmm. this case, my daughters, but in the, as people, you know, uh, get older, mm-hmm. so does the complexity of their life. Right. So, like, so number one, just making sure that I could stay present in yeah. whatever life stage they they are in, whatever that meant. Right. Present can mean five minutes a week, or it can mean, you know, a lot more time. So, yeah. just being intentional about being present. Uh, number two, just um, the second thing, I, I decided. Uh, but yeah, about that same time that I wanted to be much more vulnerable in my life. And mm-hmm. um, so again, being very uh, intentional about being vulnerable and meaning, you know, having the conversation, yeah. you know, going there and, and saying things that yeah, feel uncomfortable and encouraging them to be vulnerable uh, as well. Um, and then uh, um, thirdly, uh, honestly, just trying to, again, coming back to the beginning of the conversation, yeah. just really live in the moment and not yeah. try to project out Oh, if I don't spend this amount of time with them, I'll lose that time. Or, you know, remember back when they were five, blah, blah, blah. Totally. You know, just really <laughs> focusing on yeah. that specific time. Uh, and and those three things that, that you know, just uh, uh, really being um, uh, vulnerable, mm. uh, you know, vulnerable, uh, focusing on the now. Again, it feels like we're going back to the beginning of the conversation. No, but, sure. That's fine. Uh, and, and uh, you know, anyway, just, yes. You know, at the end of the day, it's all comes down to relationships, you know, and yeah. um, everything's different. Everyone has a different mm-hmm. situation, but it's it's valuing the relationship over yeah. X, over the situation that you're in or yeah. some sort of challenge that, that's in, around you. But, um, hmm. you know, it's really prioritizing that. So um, g- kind of to expand off that, we're currently sitting in a meeting room at a co-working space in Atlanta, a place that I've actually not, not spent barely any time in my entire life. And I know that I'm guessing Coke is what the main thing that brought you to yeah. Atlanta a long time ago. Yeah. I'm guessing your youngest daughter is still in high school around here somewhere. Yep. High cool. School. Yep. Um, is Atlanta a place that, you know, once they go to college, you want to stay? Are you looking at other places, you're looking at new beginnings elsewhere? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I never planned, I've lived in and I've moved around a bit, but kind of yeah. come back to Atlanta as a home base uh, for gosh, about 20 years now, 20, 25 years. And, yeah. uh, so your daughter's whole life basically. Yeah. 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 And, um, um, but again, moved to New York, moved mm-hmm. to Mexico city, different, yeah. different places, but sort of came back to Atlanta. And, um, what I'd say is I never planned to live this long in Atlanta. So, um, <laughs> yeah. to answer your question in a short way, no, I would yeah. probably move somewhere else. But, uh, at the same time, Atlanta is, uh, not to pump Atlanta because it doesn't need to be pumped, but it just recently <laughs> it's named, you know, the most, uh, livable city in the U S yeah. And, all these tech companies have moved Very to diverse. Atlanta, yeah, and all that. And um, yeah. so yeah, it's a great city. I'm mean, I'm saying nothing by it, but For sure. again, I I uh, never envisioned staying in one place this long, and it Perfect. just sort of life happened, you know. So, yeah. So yeah, I actually would prefer to have. I wouldn't go to the extreme that you just did, but mm-hmm. have several places where you sort of bounce Agreed. around, move around, rather than have you know one place. Right? So. Yeah. So I always ask because it's, and I'm sure this will probably change if I ask you ten years from now right? Like what you want to do and what, because at at that point you're looking at, you know, your daughter, oldest daughter will be 31. And that's at the time we're thinking about like beginning to like, they're, they're, they're finalizing their, they're finalizing, they're beginning the foundation of their own family life. Exactly. Right. If they, if that's what they choose to do. Right. Um, and it's interesting to talk to my mom about this. My mom is like probably the closest person to me in this world. You know, she grew up in New Jersey. Her dad was in the military, not really because he was not around, then he was around fully. And then she was in New Jersey mostly. And then 
I met that up in Boston and she's lived in LA and New York and Boston and, and, and is now decided to move to Bardstown, Kentucky with her boyfriend, <laughs> which I love because like it's, it's uh, completely different. <laughs> it's completely different. Yeah. But you know, she is someone that um, is very successful at what she does and is basically arbitraging the new style of remote work to leverage this ability that she can really work for whoever she wants mm. and live life she wants by also doing it wherever that is. And maybe the home base for her is Barstow, Kentucky. I mean, they have great bourbon. It's like the bourbon capital of the world. If you're into whiskey, like it's yeah. where you want to be. And I've heard yeah. that. I haven't been, but I'm excited to go visit her in the new house. Yeah. Right. Um, but that always kind of reminds me because I've been talking to my girlfriend a lot about this recently because, you know, we have been dating. We, we've known each other now for about a year, a little more than a year. We've been dating for about half a year, a little more than that. And when you're in a relationship where you know someone is going to be a part of your life, you know, right? You're not sure how and when and how much and if and that. And like, we're a long way off from talking about the, the bigger things. But the, the important thing is that we still are mindful of what we want in the future, right? She has a farm up in upstate New York um, that she bought during COVID and is turning it into a place to rescue horses from kill pens and use uh, those horses for equine therapy for mainly like veterans and especially kids with special needs, which is mm. awesome. Like she yeah. used to work at BlackRock and did a 180 and was like, I can't work for these financial <laughs> giants. I want to go work for nonprofits. But in that process, there's two things there. There's the, there'll be a farm, there'll be people running it. Do you want more of them? Do you want this to be another thing? We both love travel. Like that's the best thing about it is that when she quit BlackRock last year in May, um, she traveled me most of last year. So like the first, like we decided we were like this, this sounds almost fairy tale. I think about it and I just think like how, how lucky I am to have found someone like this. But like I was already in Europe in the Alps and she was finishing a trip with her friend in Greece and flew to join me in the Alps. We spent like three weeks on the Alps and we started like officially dating. And we were like on a hike in Slovenia when we were like, we might as well just be like, we're basically dating. Let's just make this, you know, official quote unquote. Right. <laughs> And with that, it's like a contract. This is what we want. This is what we want to see. But it's amazing because like her and I are hyper close. And I would say are more in a symbiotic relationship than I'd see most married couples are. But it's only because we did it through the fire of hose of travel. Right? Like we've been yeah, you're to right. you learn a lot about five continents together. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, for sure. But the reason why I bring this up, is it really five continents? Yeah, five continents. Uh, five. That's crazy. Um, and five years, five months of dating. And, and so we're incredibly privileged. Like I'll just, I'll, I will never forget like that, but also her and I are both funding these ourselves, like both from our own work, from our yeah. own things. Luckily BlackRock plays very well. Luckily, like I am just good at arbitraging different things. <laughs> um, design does not pay as well as BlackRock, but, um, the point I'm making in all this is like, what is the point? I'm making? The point I'm making is that at the end of the day, you have to always find that next thing that's going to teach you something new. And that could be a new person in your life or uh, a new trip or not even new, going back to the same place for the hundredth time, right? I'm sure like the beach where you have the house in Florida, like that's a, that's a special place to you. Like every time you go back there, it's like a, it's like a muscle memory of like, oh, this, I'm going back to this place. Yeah, you're a happy place. It puts you in a different mindset immediately, you know? Um, I feel that way about a few places outdoors that I have no proper like ownership. Like Yosemite National Park, like every time I'm there, that I'm like I'm in a different headspace. And I wish I wish I could, sometimes I wish I could always just live in that headspace. <laughs> but that would also make it not special anymore. Mm. Another place is in the Grand Canyon. Um, there's a spot 
I'll show you. I'm not going to show anyone. I, I show people that I trust and know this spot and the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. And people haven't been to the North Rim. Like the South Rim is like the Disney World, right? It's like everyone goes and sees it. They hop out of their car. They put the sticker on their car. I drove to the Grand Canyon. They might have an ice cream. They might hike down a mile into the South Kaibab Trail. They're not seeing it. The North Rim, if you were to drive from the South Rim to the North Rim, you're adding uh, six hours of driving. You need to go all the way around the canyon, even though you're only like 23 miles away from the North Rim when you're staying in the South Rim. But the thing that people don't realize is it's 3,000 miles, 3,000 3, feet taller than the South Side. And so the climate and the, the culture of the nature around there is completely different. Uh, and the road, there's this road, it's Road 15 that goes from 89 in Arizona down to the north of the Grand Canyon. It's my favorite road in the entire world I've ever been on mm. because this beautiful ribbon of tarmac that slices through meadows and forests that have really never, ever been touched by humanity. And there are bison grazing and there are moose and there you'll be like in this grassy cool. field of trees. But like every time I go back there, it's almost like, I feel like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. Like my mind just goes in that mode. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking about growth in myself. It is like at that place, I've always thought of the next thing. Yeah, cool. Right. And I'm sure besides yeah. the Ford house, is there any other place like that for you? Uh, uh, probably the land of my journal. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the beginning. Yeah. No, I, I think it's important to find that place, find that space that you can imagine you can, yeah. uh, you know, think and, uh, again, just imagine. Yeah. And when you found that, that's cool. Do do you think your daughters have a place like that yet? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I have no idea, but I hope so. Um, yeah, but that's a, that's a great, uh, challenge though. No, for sure. And right. and that's and cause my, my dad and mom always challenged me to go find those places. Hmm. There's something big that they that's are great. about. Go find your places, hmm. you know? Um, cause our places won't be your places. They could be your places, but yeah. I think a lot of parents want their places to be their kids' places. And I think that's another detrimental thing that's in there. It could be, but I think most of the time it's not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, amazing. We definitely need a part two at some point and I'll, I'll, I'll come back and we'll meet somewhere else. Cool. Fun. If you're traveling, that'd be more yeah. fun. We'll do Grand it. Canyon. Grand Canyon. Have you been? <laughs> I have not. Yeah. The We're North gonna, so part two, North <laughs> Grand Canyon, David Butler. Uh, my girlfriend hasn't been either. So that might be a good, uh, group trip. And, uh, also Brian Collins hasn't been, so let's get everyone together. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get a fun crew out there. Perfect. Um, so I like to wrap up, um, with, uh, a bunch of rapid fire questions. Okay. You can answer these in as many or few words as you want. Okay. I ask that you don't pass on any of them, but none of them are, 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 are computational. Juicy. Yeah. Um, is there something you believe in that most don't? Something mm. I believe in that most don't. Wow. Gosh, Rob, first question. You stumped me on that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. We uh, can always come back to it too. Yeah, let's come back to that one. Okay. Um, a more cliche, easy to answer question. Uh, if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family, what problem would you try and solve? Hmm. Yeah, try to solve. Yeah, I, there's a, I don't know if it's, if I'd say it's a problem, but it's, um, yeah, I, I feel like people, for me, it's a problem, but I don't know how to solve it, uh, which maybe goes to your, your question. But, you know, finding yourself, you know, understanding who you are, you can spend a lifetime doing that or you can spend a week and, uh, you know, if you could sort of solve how people, everyone in the world could find themselves as early as possible, that would be the thing. And I don't know how much, 
No, yeah, like you can go as deep as you you. I mean, that would be my answer. I love that. Um, Is there a sound that you associate with happiness? Yeah, I mean, you hit on it a couple minutes ago, but the beach. Yeah, just the the, that. Every every, all the sounds associated with the beach. Um, is and can. So I think you're someone who will believe when I say this. I think every beach sounds different. Yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, I've been to quite a few. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, so is it is huh. it beaches in general, or is it that beach? Because I'm sure, like, the sound of waves must be calming to you, being a you grew up on the beach. But I'm sure, like, when you go to that beach, you know that sound, and it's just like, yeah, that's true. That's really perceptive. Yeah, yeah, I would probably say beach in general without really thinking about it. But yeah, you're right. It's probably more specific than that. I'm just trying. So, with 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 this entire podcast and the line of questions and you see me furiously moving around my iPad this entire time trying to make sure I'm on top of it. I have these lists of things that I make and sort of like, and, and, and it's almost psychosis level, but not a bad thing. But like my goal is that these are the questions I ask myself and they're the questions that like are borderline is inappropriate to ask to someone you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think if it's, if it's just past that yeah, go for 1% it. point, you know, but yeah. I'm going to ask them now. Yeah. Right. It's like some, some of these questions are intimate questions that we've been talking about. Yeah. Right. Um, the question that I asked you earlier, what is something you believe that most don't? I love that question for two reasons. One, I I love a contrarian. I think the most interesting people are contrarians, mm-hmm. right? And number two, something that most don't. There is a perceived notion or belief of what you, because sometimes people have said something that I'm very clear, like, no, that's a very common. Yeah, okay. So I'll go back to, we've already talked about this, so it, yeah. this might be boring, but um, no, but I think that that idea or that notion that, there is a sort of subset or a group of uh, unique people that are referred to as designers versus mm-hmm. everyone on the planet is yeah. um, I'd say in the design circles in the professional yeah. design world, that's a very controversial point of view. And I mean, I, I definitely yeah. believe that. So I'm glad uh, you came back to it because I think it's a point that's really important part of this podcast and something I believe and you believe and not just this episode, but the podcast as a whole, hmm. you know, and it goes back to my belief, like you be whatever you want to be. At the end of the day, like, I think we're all scientists. What is science? We're trying to have a deeper understanding of our of ourselves and the world around us, right? Like, if yeah. you don't have that, you're not living, right? That's great. Full stop. You know, full, full stop. Like that, And there. And same thing with, like, you know, if you have any interest in cooking or baking, like, that's a hell of a lot of math and understanding of basic scientific principles, you know? So you can't go your entire life being like, oh, I hate science. I'm going to do it. It's like, it's amazing. It's like, no, no, you're doing it every day. Yeah. You know, you're, you're thinking about it. Most people don't think about it on a level like I or you might. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, a lot of people, and I, I would say most people and not to sound elitist, but, um, you know, people just don't question things either. Yeah. Right? So like, you know, you're going back before you're given a certain paradigm. Yeah. You do this, you go to school, you get this, you live in what, you know, like for sure. people don't think like you, it's your life. You can do yeah. whatever you want to do with it. You know, so That's true. I, I, my girlfriend, and I talked about this a lot. Elsa talked about this a lot last night, um, during dinner. And because I, I, I recorded a podcast yesterday and I came to sometimes during podcasting, I come up with these ideas and sometimes I reach out to them. I'm like, I remember that. Cause like, that's something that's all clicking, which is what everything, what I want, what you want, when everyone's getting something, um, which is the goal. But I think my answer to that question now is that I believe that genuinely believe that most people are in deep denial about at least one thing. Hmm. And I think the most common of those is that one day you're going to die. Right. Hmm. And that, because I've had circumstances in my life that have brought me very close to death. I have a very comfortable relationship with death. I'm all, I'm, I'm st- I still don't, I still want to be far away. Don't worry. Like, I'm not saying like I could die now. And, like people are like, I could die right now and I'm at peace. 
I'd be at peace if I had no control and I don't have any control. If I died tomorrow, I'd be at peace with that fact because I know it's inside of my control. Yeah, there's a book called uh, The Four Agreements. Have yes. This book? Yeah, yeah so great book. I think it's the last chapter. He talks about the hardest thing that, or the, the thing that most people are afraid of is actually living, not mm. dying. You know? Yeah. And to, meaning living their most authentic self. And uh, yeah. yeah. And that's just another way. To and that's denial. Like yeah. how many people are, I mean, I'm sure at the top of your head, you can think of at least 10 people in your own life that are at very least working a job they hate or pretend they like. At least yeah. 10 people. Or in a relationship. and Relationship, well, yeah. job, yeah. Uh, something with money or financing or an addiction, yeah. uh, alcohol, drugs, anything, yeah. right? Um, next question. Is there a story that your family, parents, or children like to tell about you? Uh, yes, uh, I'll say broadly. My, um, and this goes back again to what we talked about getting. I've, I've really developed my appreciation and practice around gratitude. Yeah. And uh, and again, and again, living in the now. And so, growing up, I would tend to tell them stories that uh, of my childhood that weren't as flattering or. Yeah, sort of sad stories. And they would remind me of that. Why do you always tell sad stories? And I sort of caught myself like, why do I do that? Why am I hanging on to that? Right. So hmm. anyway, that's part of that whole gratitude living in the now thing. So. so you think you tell sad stories because it reminds you to be thankful for the life that you No, have. I think I did out uh, of habit and then I changed okay. that habit. Right. So hmm. yeah. interesting. Well, huh. so this is a question I rarely ask, but I think because you mentioned a few things relating to this, but you haven't actually said the word yet what are your feelings on love? Hmm. I think uh, there is a basic, there are two things in the world, mm-hmm. love and fear, right? So, and Ooh, a lot of like people that. have written on this. So it's, um, yeah. I think, you know, understanding that, it, you know, at that basic level, it's either fear-based or, you know, love-based yeah. is, uh, you know, sort of the key to opening up where you can go and how you can dream, how you can relate with people. Yeah. Right? So are you relating, in other words, are you relating with, Am I relating to you right now out of a place of love or fear? Right? Mm. Am I in a job out of a place of love or fear? Am I oh, in a, you know, okay. whatever, anywhere you are? Is, huh. it, is it sort of driven by a fear of something? I'm afraid one day I won't have enough money. Or if it, is it love? Is it pure possibility? Right? So anyway, I think it's it's sort of at the basic level. I did. I, I this is kind of blowing my mind right now. Yeah, like well, there's a lot of people. A lot of people that have written about. Yeah, this sure. So it's not a unique thought, but you know. no, I know it's not. But like, I've I've definitely come across it before. But I think now it's finally clicking to me. Where like I'm trying to come up with a. I'm. You know, it's my mind. Since this has something, I'm like, okay, let me try to break this theory. You know, like, and then I, I'm and like, as I as you go deeper trying to break it, you become like, oh shit, this is. Yeah, but think about it. And and again, yeah. I'm no psychoanalyst or anything like that, but. You know, are you in a relationship because you're afraid yeah. to be alone or you're no. afraid of, you know, but like, or is love, it pure love? You know? Is it pure love? If it's not pure yeah. love, why, why, you know, or a job or whatever you're doing with your time? Or you're afraid if you, you know, I think most reason why people stay in toxic relationships is a societal view of what people think of you. All, all the above. And then, yeah. you know, if you're in a job, you're sort of in not what a place, think, or it could be wherever anything. you are, yeah. however you're spending your time doing whatever, relationship, job, whatever. Yeah. If you're there based on fear, why? You know, imagine being in a place of... Yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense because most people believe the antithesis of love is hate, but it's really fear. Yeah, that's that's what I believe. It is the antithesis of hate then is joy. Well, it could also be love. I don't know. Let's yeah, yeah. Hold, hold the podcast. <laughs> uh, this is the fifth iteration of David Butler and Rob's. <laughs> we can start our own podcast if you want. I'll happily, I'll happily do it. Um, uh, two more questions. If you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area, hmm. where would it be? And what would it say? 
yeah, you know, again, I don't mean to sound uh, like I have three things in my life, but yeah. this, I really believe in that living in the moment, you know, living yeah. in the power of now. And I, I have a good friend of mine who wrote, he's written several books, uh, sent out, he has a newsletter. You're talking about your mm -hmm. staying for newsletters. Yeah. Anyway, he sent out a newsletter today and I read this again. He's just talking about, you know, just being, you know. What's being, in the newsletter? Uh, his, well, he wrote a book called for, uh, F O R and it's mm -hmm. about taking a very positive view on life and, and being hmm. you know, focusing on being for things versus against. Oh, things. I like that. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. So, um, his name is Jeff Henderson, by the way. And, um, Got anyway, it. uh, you talked about, you know, the power of being, yeah. you know, being in, in the moment, mind, mindfulness, all that stuff. So anyway, if I could push that to my friends, yeah. anyone that I'm, I can influence at all. I just, again, just, you know, the recognizing the power of being or, or living in the moment. So. I, I love that for numerous reasons. I think chiefly among which is this idea that human beings are better when they are most, I'm talking so like I'm thinking about it, so I'm saying it, are most, I, I think are operating at the best efficiency. I mean that like the most scientific terms, like are happiest, right? Mm -hmm. Uh when they have full understanding of themselves and appreciation for what they have, right? And I know you keep harping on this fact that it's like one of your three things, but it's not. I think gratitude is is not just, that's not one tenet. I think gratitude is a glue. It's like it's like the connector of all no, that's interesting. You know, because like, um, what is that saying? Like it's a it's a famous, like what's the, what's an insect uh, science, scientist? It's like a, an entomologist and bugs, I think. Let's go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Great. <laughs> um, and again, I, I put show notes down below for anyone at this point still listening. Um, and that's new to this podcast. Every single thing we mentioned, if it's like a, a person, place or thing or a product, it's linked below in a timeline so everyone can find them easily. That's cool. Yeah, because I don't always people's time. Yeah. You know, it's easy for me to do it yeah, or cool. someone else. But going off that, um, What an entomologist, as we'll say, will say is like a spider's web could be viewed as two things. One thing, it's a web, or the fact that it's connecting many things. Hmm. It's it's a paradox. It's both things. Yeah. Right. That's gratitude. And the answers to the best questions are paradoxes. Hmm. Right? What is the meaning of life? Well, it depends. You know, what is it to you? Right. Yeah. So I I I appreciate this and I appreciate this conversation. And I love everything we had. So I have one last question for you, and I promise. Uh, you have three children, assuming at least one of them has their own kids. No, they don't. Yeah. Oh, you mean in the future? In the future. No, for sure. Yeah. No, no, no. Not right now. I know. 16 to 21. I know you. Don't worry. I wasn't insinuating anything or trying to surprise you with anything you don't know. Advice for your grandchildren's generation. Like, you know, what do you want to impart to them? And I'm sure gratitude would be one of them. I'm just going to take that one off the table. Just because I know I know it'll be something you you are going to, because you to me come across as a very like caring and loving person based on your level of gratitude. So I understand the relationship you have with your daughters already, right. which I know will transcend to their children as well. So I assume that the love and the providence that you will create with that is already there. So beyond that, you know, if they're like, you know, Grandpa, yeah. what advice do you have for me? Yeah, you know, it it goes back to you know finding out who you are. You you mentioned this, but you know, you know what you're your strengths and weaknesses are, but you know, anyway, sort of understanding who you are at the root level, uh, but then having the courage, this would be the advice, having the courage to stretch out beyond that right, yeah. and not be limited by that. Because again, I, in my own life, 
I had found those limitations and stayed right inside those limitations for a long time. And then I figured out, uh, to your point, you know, yeah. uh, I think we said this before, but, um, you know, uh, make, what's the phrase? Um, uh, uh, make it up until it happens. What, what, are, uh, you make it, figure it till you make it, fake it till you make it. Yeah. yeah I mean like that, <laughs> Sorry, that I... is, you can go a long way on faking it till you make it. And oh, I, yeah. I didn't sort of realize that until I was, uh, definitely, uh, an adult. And, yeah. um, you know, if, <laughs> and, and the one point I clarify every time when I say fake it, I'm, I don't want anyone to lie. You're not yeah. lying. You're creating. There's a difference. No, I mean that. Yeah. Yeah, and I know, I, I know I you agree. do as well. That's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. But just because you don't have the degree, just because you don't yeah. have the relationship. Yeah. Other things we've talked about. This yeah. isn't a George Santos situation. You're not right. making up a, this is not making yes, up your, exactly. you know, SV. Right, yeah. No, this is, this is having the courage to do something yeah. that you don't feel completely qualified to do yeah. or capable of. But courage can take you a long way. And that, that's yeah. what I would say. Like, you know, put an extreme value on courage. Mm-hmm. You know? An imposter system is a real is a real thing. I and totally you, agree. And you, and you have to be mindful of that. And like, I know you've had it many times in your career. I have it around this podcast and around the magazine. Like, yeah, and many other problems. things. But I get it. But like, what I would say is there has to be someone out there that each person looks up to. And I guarantee you can find that person talking with but imposter syndrome. Everyone feels this way. And if someone doesn't feel that way, they're probably not a great mentor. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or every, I would imagine every, I'll call it successful person has, everyone has felt that. Right? Yeah. So there's, it's, it's unavoidable. For sure. But, you know, again, valuing the courage to step yeah. beyond that uh, is what I encourage. If, you, if you're nervous, it means you're going to do a good job. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> yeah, or you're just, you're nervous. But, um, and, you know, if you're nervous, you're unsure, right? So that's yeah. exactly. So like, again, just, you know, battling that foster syndrome or mm. uh, taking the courage to take the next step is the secret. Perfect. Cool. Thank you for taking the time for this conversation. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to plug or mention to the audience? No, other than you, Rob. So I, I want to say thank you for this <laughs> thank opportunity. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, you're, uh, we've only known each other for, you know, a short time and it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and you're quite interesting and, you should start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I will no, start a podcast. I, seriously, I really appreciate the time. No, always. Um, again, uh, you can find uh, David. I'll shortly list everything below and the outro will start right now. I hope you all enjoyed this episode between myself and David Butler. You can find David on LinkedIn by typing in his name, David Butler, spelled as you think it's spelled. And as always, you can find me online at Rob Auchincloss. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day. Goodbye.